0: Recorded live. And welcome to Podcast Winterfell. This is episode 215 of the podcast. My name is Matt Murdick. I'm from PodcastWinterfell.com, where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast in streaming or uh, downloadable form. You can find all of the social media contact and Podcatcher links as well. And I would love it if you would take time to leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And we got a lot of reviews this week. I want to thank folks um, who have done so because if you do leave me reviews by February 2nd of 2015, you're automatically entered into a contest where you can win season four Blu-rays or DVDs. And uh, the Game of Thrones will be coming your way thanks to me. Uh, if you leave a written review on any of those mediums. And that includes if you have in the past, you don't have to rewrite a review unless you want to. You know, Maybe I've said something in the last few weeks that made you angry and you want to drop me down a few stars and, and tell me about it. Or maybe I've done something to make you feel a little bit better about the podcast and you want to up your stars and do something like that. That's fine, but you don't have to. You're already in there. Folks who joined you in already being there, if you've left a review, include Sergeant Piddles and Jimmy Threepwood in the Stitcher Store, thank you very much. Gal in the Israeli iTunes Store, and Gal has sent emails before as well. Thank you, Gal. Um, SMCJ forty four from the UK iTunes Store, thank you very much. And from the US iTunes Store, ProMic, Liz Seven or I'm sorry, Liz99999. And BBNGA, and uh, ga they all left new reviews in the U.S. iTunes store. And I think Ben D. Morgan uh, updated his review in the U.S. iTunes store. But like I said, that's not necessary. You're already in if you've left a review in the past. So hopefully you'll uh, be the lucky winner. And we'll draw those and let you know the week of February 2nd, uh, the the book podcast that comes out with the TV news, just like this podcast is TV news friendly or news for the TV only friendly audience. And uh, we'll also be reading from A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons after we get done with the news. So if you are an NBR and you don't want to know anything about the books or any potential spoilers for season five or who knows what season somewhere in the future, Um, then after our news section, you're going to want to turn the podcast off. That goes for you folks in the chat room as well. If any of you are NBRs, you may want to leave us after we get done. And we do want to thank some folks who are in the chat room with us this week. We have uh, mandatory guests six, uh, actually guests four through nine are with us in the chat. Thank you very much for taking the time to stop in and listen. Um, Before I get to any other thing like introducing our guests, I do want to read an email from DeMarca who says, Dear Matt, I truly like your podcast. I find it fun and informative. I used to listen to another podcast on YouTube, but I must admit yours has a lot better quality and sometimes looking at people talking for two hours is distracting and drawing attention away from the content uh, to the visuals. That said, I would like to ask you if you could add some kind of bookmark to your podcast. I mean short pauses between parts of the podcast so it's easier to go fast forward to the part that is most interesting for the listener. I usually download your podcast and listen to it on my MP3 player, so without short moments of silence between chapters, it's hard to navigate. With bookmarks, I do not have time. Without bookmarks, I do not have time to listen to all of your podcasts in one go. So I, this way I could pick, for example, a specific chapter to listen to by knowing how many spaces to fast forward. Hope you keep up the good work and wish you all the best. Okay, thank you, Demarca. Um, honestly, we have too much dead space on this podcast already with me trying to like put two or three words together in a row, so I can't help you really with additional silence. Um, but I would, what I will do is, in the past, I have put. Timestamp markers um, by each chapter that we read in the show notes, and I will start doing that again. I hadn't done it lately because, well, I've been lazy and I've been busy, um, but I can start doing that again so that you know, if there is a specific chapter you're looking for, you can see the time marker and then just find it on your MP3 player and uh, go straight there. And hopefully that will help. Um, so, uh, just thought I'd take care of that. Um, that way, we'll be able to to please you and I won't have to change any formatting because we really wouldn't want to leave a couple of, enough seconds of dead space for the MP3 player to, to switch over like that because uh, I already do enough dead space. But my guests don't and my guests are with me now and first of all, of course, we want to welcome back once again. He is the greatest podcaster talking about the greatest king who has ever graced the presence of this world or any world. We're talking about Joffrey, and of course, we're talking about the podcaster, Bubba, from the Joffrey Podcast. Welcome, Bubba.
1: Welcome, welcome. I'm real excited. As an NBR, I'm gonna, I'm, this is going to be thrilling. Yeah.
0: And uh, we also have joining us, once again, uh, a regular contributor from the Captain Punishment Adventure Hour. We welcome back Mike Hall. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, man. i really enjoyed this week's chapters. I'm excited for the show. I am, too. Unfortunately, before we start talking about the chapters, which we won't talk about, of course, yet, uh, we have news for our TV-only listeners. Here it comes. So, uh, obviously, we talked about this some last week, but we uh, now uh, have gotten some updates on Game of Thrones playing in IMAX. You're probably well aware last week that IMAX announced that they were pushing back the, uh, the show dates for the Game of Thrones episodes, one week. And so they will now begin screening on January 29th, but you can already get tickets at your selected theater. Um, Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Dallas, Denver, Houston, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Miami, Montreal, New York, San Antonio, Seattle, St. Louis, Toronto, Washington, D.C., among many other cities. Uh, started selling tickets on January 16th. So get your tickets now. And if you are one of the first 300 ticket holders for any of the opening screenings across the country um, on January 29th at 10 p.m., you will receive one of two commemorative Game of Thrones artwork posters from Robert Ball. Now, I believe the way it is is that the AMC theater chain Uh, are going to be receiving one that commemorates the episode Watchers on the Wall, which is one of the episodes that you'll see at IMAX. And all of the other franchises will be giving away a different commemorative poster um, for the children episode, which will, of course, also air uh, on IMAX. So you'll get both episodes, but you'll only get one poster. Um, Bubba, I don't know. Have you seen both of the posters? I had only seen the, the Watchers on the Wall one until just recently, uh, we got a tweet from our friend Glenn Ewing uh, who pointed me to a site, uh, Slash Film where I was able to uh, check out both posters. And I actually kind of like the children one better.
1: No, I, I had seen them. They were part of, I believe, they were part of that great uh, HBO series on Twitter called Beautiful Depths, and uh, I had seen it, and I, I thought it was great.
0: Right on. Uh, Mike,
1: any thoughts about the posters? Have you seen them
0: both? Yeah, I really liked the, the second one better myself. Um, the only theater in Manhattan screening is an AMC. Um, and so I was, I kind of was hoping to be able to get the other one. But uh, it turns out all the 10 o'clock screenings were, tickets were sold out by the time I was able to try to buy one. Uh, but they there is a 1 a.m. screening that same night. Obviously, they'll be out of posters, but I may end up going anyway. I'll be off work by then, so. Wow, so you're going to beat me. I'm going the next day in the afternoon. That's the only time I can schedule it between gigs, but uh, I'm going like on the Friday on the 30th at like 2 o'clock is when I'm going to go see it. So uh, you're going to scoop me on what the trailer is about. (laughs) Um, Well, I'll be sure to, to tweet every spoiler I can think of. Absolutely, yay! yay. Uh, well, I tell you what though, if you don't like the posters, uh, IMAX is also kind of rigging up another giveaway, uh, but it doesn't necessarily involve going to the theaters. From what I understand, uh, you have to follow the IMAX Twitter feed between January twenty seventh and twenty ninth, uh, and during those dates, IMAX's Twitter will offer chances to win either a life size replica of Long Call, as I understand it, which is Jon Snow's sword. Or um, that would be perfect for our friend Heath Snow, or uh, a replica of the hand of the the kingpin, which of course Bubba would be perfect for you because uh, you've you've been in service to the greatest king ever for a long time.
1: I have. Thank you for you know. Yes, you will state the obvious always, Matt. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm wow. Captain Captain Obvious. Uh, that's me on those commercials, folks. Uh, I saw a guy
1: the other day on the.
0: On the subway with the hand of the king pin on his jacket, and I wanted to go and and talk to him and kind of take a picture of it, you know, and just be excited about it. But he just seemed really upset and surly, and just didn't really seem like he wanted to talk about his accessories at that moment. So I left him alone. But I was having apparently those things I was are floating. A rough out,
2: <laughs> oh, see, it's a good thing um, I left you alone then. He,
0: he 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 had well, he had a bad day with Tommy. That's why he was so upset. Um, everybody has a bad day with Tommen because Tommen just doesn't measure up to Joffrey. Um, more news: Directors Guild of America have announced their uh, television nominations. Among the nominees for directing of a drama series is Game of Thrones episode 410, The Children, which you will see in IMAX if you go to that. It was directed by Alex Graves, so congratulations to him on the no- nomination. The episode is running up against episodes of Homeland, actually two episodes of Homeland, an episode of House of Cards, and an episode of True Detective. Um, The winners will be announced at the 67th uh, Directors Guild of America Awards Gala uh, in a little over three weeks on February 7th. And the Visual Effects Society has likewise revealed their list of nominees for the 13th VES Awards. Game of Thrones, unsurprisingly, has been honored in several categories, Visual effects in a broadcast program for the episode The Children. Performance of an animated character in a commercial broadcast program or video game. And that would be Drogon, uh, the dragon. Uh, created environment in a commercial broadcast program or video game. And that would be Bravos. Uh, I guess, uh, the establishing shot. And composition in a broadcast program, and that was the white attack and another entry in the same category for watchers on the wall as well. Um, the, The VES award ceremony will be held on February 4th, so in a few weeks we'll have the results of those for you if there's any winners. Always good to see them get nominated for that kind of stuff. It means that maybe they're not. Um, doing too badly with their budget as far as the effects go. Uh, Game of Thrones has never really shorted us as badly as, say, a Doctor Who or something like that, so uh, that's good. Um, Dark House uh, has previewed their latest statue because if you don't win a rep- life size replica of Longclaw from IMAX on Twitter, uh, then you've got to go out and buy you something, right? And it's the recreation of a shot of Danny sitting on the rocks with the dragons. The statue is going to measure 14 inches across and uh, 18 inches from front to back. It is elaborately detailed and pre-painted, and it comes in a full-color oversized collector's box. Now, you're going to have to wait until summer to purchase one of these, uh, and the suggested retail price right now is $425. But if you happen to be attending the Toy Fair 215 in New York, Mike, Mike, uh, between February 14th and 17th, Mike, Mike, you can head to booth. Forty-eight thirty-seven, Mike. Mike, and you can check out the prototype to, you know, to entice you to spend that five hundred bucks on a statue of Danny sitting by a dragon, right? Would you like for me to uh, to go to the show and actually steal it for you?
2: <laughs> I'm fast, uh,
0: dude. I did the marathon a couple of years ago. I might be able to get a prototype out the door. Oh, let's not do that. Let's. let's but it's let's, a toy conference. These people are strong-armable, don't you think? Eh, possibly so, but that sounds like something more for uh, the uh, Captain Punishment Adventure Hour to take care of. <laughs> Wait, I got a new plan. I'm going to win this, this, this version of
1: Longclaw, then I'll take that with me. That'll definitely help me get out.
0: Yeah, there you go. Just swing it around, you know, or, or, or maybe just swing your, you know, the poster that you stole from some poor seven-year-old kid <laughs> from the two-o'clock screening. You know, steal that poster and just wave it around. I'm sure that that's enough to get most toy, uh, toy sellers uh, ducking behind their boots. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, you guys know about my favorite composer right now on television, of course, is Ramin Javadi. Uh, and of course he's a composer for Game of Thrones uh, musical score, and I I break him down and and tear him a new one sometimes, but most of the time I'm pretty happy with him. Uh, Recently, Ramin has uh, scored uh, the Duncan Jones Warcraft movie, which is based on Blizzard Entertainment's wildly popular uh, game, World of Warcraft, Um, and he has another project where he's been tagged to score the pilot for HBO's newest original series entitled Westworld. So uh, he'll at least be scoring the pilot on that. The show is um, set in an amusement park of sorts and is described as a dark odyssey about the dawn of artificial consciousness and the future of sin. Ooh, spooky, very Lost-in-like. I don't know. But uh, I've heard a little bit about uh, Westworld. I know that Glenn has been tweeting me about Westworld on my other feed. Uh, Mike, do you know anything about this show or Bubba, either of you?
1: Well, I saw the original film, the Michael Crichton uh, scripted film that uh, this show is going to be based on, and it was a very fun thing from the 70s. We'll have to see if HBO can pull off another great adaption.
0: Right on. Um, I didn't even know it was a film. That's how in the loop I am, Mike. See? Uh, somebody hit <laughs> me with a with some kind of, uh, I don't know, a hard trophy. Uh, maybe, maybe a rep- life-size rec- replica of Long Claw. Um, let's see. Uh, the roster of the next edition of Game of Thrones mixtape is expanding as well. Uh, Mike, you had a lot of questions about this last time we talked about it. Um, according to tweets from HBO uh, Latino and the musician's record company, reggaeton artist Yandel has recorded a track for Catch the Throne Volume 2. So this year's mixtape will feature both hip hop and metal acts. Killswitch Engage and Athrax have always already been confirmed to appear as well. Are you getting any more hyped for it, Mike?
2: Uh, I mean, I didn't know reggaeton was
0: still a thing. It's okay, not,
2: it's uh, really, that's good.
0: It's really not, but
2: hey, that doesn't <laughs> matter.
0: Um, I, no, I, I I still enjoy it. Uh, it's great. Um. Let's move on to, uh, remember we, uh, uh, let me just say this, remember that we told you about the making of Game of Thrones that will hit HBO on February 8th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Now, according to uh, EntertainmentWeekly.com, that's EW.com, the special, which runs 28 minutes, covers one day of Season five's production on three different throne sets in three different countries one in Northern Ireland, one in Croatia, and one in Spain. Uh, Currently, it is only listed to be available on the network and not available via On Demand or HBO Go services. But I've never really looked through the listings to see if they show that until after this thing is aired anyway. Can either of you help me on that? No. Yeah. Yeah uh i have never looked that far into the listings or anything to be able you know like on their on their website or whatever to see whether they they show it whether it'll be available on demand on the same day or not but,
2: no, well, perhaps but not.
1: they have just released a uh looks like a 30 second uh promo for the special and there's some things that get readers, get their heads buzzing about ooh what's this what's this ooh i know what that is yeah, uh, the HBO literally just released it within the last uh, probably hour, and it's really cool.
0: Excellent. Well, I'll have to see that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I suppose that's about it for the news. Except there was another uh, Raven site mini mobile device trailer. Actually, two that came out on January fourteenth, and we're going to break those down. In the book section, uh, we're not going to break them down here because we don't want to spoil you TV-only listeners who don't want to be spoiled. And that's going to do it for this portion of the podcast. Real quickly, though, uh, something I've neglected to do the last couple of weeks is to ask our guests how they can be followed for the NVRs, uh, how they can be followed on Twitter or whatever to be contacted about uh, Game of Thrones, the TV show. Mike, what's your Twitter handle, brother? At fist. Column film, F-I-F-T-H, C-O-L-U-M-N, F-I-L-M.
2: And And I love love
0: Game of Thrones questions and tweets. It's like a a little shot of energy in the middle of the day. Excellent. And Bubba, uh, how can people contact you, sir?
1: Well, hey, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Fit and Trim, that's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M, at Fit and Trim on Twitter, I'll take Game of Thrones, or I'll take anything about you Fifty Shades of Grey fans. Let's hear it.
0: on, right, uh, and do want to remind you folks that the Season 3 rewatch is starting to wrap up. If you have any thoughts about Season 3, get them to me. Axel Foley's going to tell you how to get them to me. And uh, probably uh, you folks will be better spellers than I. Obviously, Mike and Bubba are, because I would have spelled their, their Twitter handles wrong. At any rate, here's Axel. See you next time. Okay, so uh, before we get into talking about the books first, let me just uh, actually say what the chapters are that we're going to be reading this week. Cat of the Canals, Sam 4, actually Samwell 4, Cersei 8, Brienne 7, and Jamie 6, all from A Feast for Crows is what we're going to be reading. But before we talk about that, we're going to talk about these two little Raven Sight trailers that uh, came out on the 14th. Uh, one of them is very heavily Aria-focused, it would seem to me. It, would, it has the voice of Cyril Pharrell saying, there is only one thing we say to death, not today. Um, the images are, uh, it looks like a view of salt pans from the episode of The Children, I think. Um, then there is a sword being pulled up, and I'm not sure whose. Uh, then there is Aria hovering over Polliver when she got Needle back in Season 4 those blasted birds from the episode in Season 1 where we have the bee netting. Uh, then we have Arya's footwork uh, when practicing her water dancing from Season 4. And finally, Arya arriving at the house of black and white, or at least a set of black and white doors. So I'm assuming that's the house of black and white. For you book readers, uh, you know who, what that is. Uh, any thoughts on any of these shots? Uh, let me start with you, Bubba. Did, did you check this trailer
1: out? I looked at both of them. You know, they're actually fun, even though they're so short. But the fact that we're about to get real stuff, we're about to, if you go to IMAX, see a real Season 5 trailer. The fact that uh, HBO just released this kind of 30-second teaser for this special they're going to air in February, which has little shots that make you think, uh, it's not enough. I know everybody in the chat room has mentioned they're ready for Season 5. Let's get on with it. Let's roll. So uh, these sites have been fun. But I think it's time to roll.
0: Right on. Uh, Mike, any thoughts about those particular shots? I mean, is there anything, and there's not really anything all that enlightening from it. Do you think that that first shot uh, was of salt pans from, a, from the children episode? Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of got the same thing from it. Um, you know, it's always, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, you read Cat of the Canals and then you watch this thing and you're like, there there needs to be so much more.
2: <laughs> These type things are
0: cool, but, like, I feel like we're talking about, you know, like the presidential race right now. It's like it's, you know, we got so little to go on, and it's so far away, and it's just starting to kind of be annoying, so. Uh, gotcha. I got you. Well, I, there's I, – oh, I click on them all excited, you know, and then at least they short. Yeah, they they go by quick. Um, the second vision is a little more co- complex because as it starts, you get an eye opening. You get a sword in a flame. Right. Then the, the flame kind of carries over, and it looks like a blurry Melisandre. That almost seems uh, new to me. I'm not sure. Uh, if anybody has a differing opinion, feel free to correct me as we go along. Then we have a coin um, that I think, looked, looking by the size of the hands and everything, looks like Arya's is holding. Is that her Valar Morghola's coin? Bubba, do you think that's the coin?
1: That's what I assume, but I definitely—I'll give it this. I think that's a, a new shot of it. I don't remember that particular shot of it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a new shot. I just—I'm—I'm I'm kind of suspecting that it's—it's it, one of those shots where uh, she gets to the house of the undying and she shows uh, someone the coin. That's—that's that's what I'm thinking that that's a shot of. Um, then there's two people on a rowboat, and I couldn't tell Mike if this was. Maybe Sansa and Dantos from season four, or if it was something new. What do you think? I mean, every time I see like a little boat like that, I'm just thinking Tyrion right now. But it definitely does not look like Tyrion. Okay. Bubba, any thought on that?
1: I I think it's that thing that people who pay attention to season five spoilers have heard about. That's what I think. That's all. Else. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, Then a nail being driven into something, and I can't tell if this is new or if this is some kind of just closed-in shot on when Danny had her slavers crucified in Marine in Season 4. Anybody got any thought on that?
1: No, you're right. It's tough to tell if it's new or not.
0: Yeah. Um, It looks like it's been pixeled up, (laughs) or at least it did to me, but that's that's all I will say about that. Um, Mike, any thought on that? Uh, No, I mean, it just reminds me of all the crucifixions that are going around,
2: you know? Right, right.
0: Um, Then uh, it looks like a a single white hand amidst the snowfall. And I I was thinking, whites, white walkers, it it almost looks like a child hand, though. You think that's our baby growing up?
1: Yeah, or a female hand. There's something odd about it
0: yeah it it's it's very it's it it seems smaller in in the scale of everything, so I'm assuming that's a new shot um then we have uh, gee an angry owl or at least a screeching owl um then a woman running through the woods or a girl running through the woods and I think that that is actually from season four where Ramsey was first uh hunting the girls with theon. am I wrong about that
1: I believe you're right. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Maester Pycelle. And (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. It's all right. right. Take your your time, brother. It sucks that you're still feeling bad. Um, The vase being broken. Now, that's got to be new, because I don't recall anything like that uh, from prior seasons. Not that it tells us anything, but... Is that... I mean, because I was thinking of Melisandre and all of her powders and potions. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, there's not much to go on there. Um, But it seemed like maybe, I don't know, either somebody was mad or she was trying to get to the stuff in the bottom. or That was just what it made me think of immediately. Right, right. Yeah, uh, possibly. Who knows? Then you get a... a a nicely blurred out uh, and highly J J Abram-ized, uh lens flare shot of Sansa when she was at the top of the stairs in her new clothes from season four uh, at the Vale. And then finally, a wooden door, but it's not the black and white door. It looks more like some kind of cell door. And Is that new or is that from prior seasons? Does anybody remember?
1: Well, some people thought it might have been Tyrion's cell door from last season. But other people have gone in and said it doesn't really match up. I I can't say for sure. I'm not a, you know, I I didn't go back and watch Syrian uh, watch door cell door, excuse me, from the past season to see if it's the same door or not.
0: Gotcha. Um, Mike, was either of these any more interesting to you than the other, or were they both just kind of like, yeah, that's it, and let's get let's get a trailer? <laughs> uh, I think I liked the second one better. The first, the very first shot of the sword um i wondered if that was from when they you know when taiwan was melting down ice
2: mm.
0: um and making new swords but then you know it goes straight to melisandre so that makes that confusing because it's not a cut it's a fade you know and so i mean that fade would usually indicate one thing is leading to the next as opposed to a straight cut um so i felt like i found that kind of that that threw my ice theory off but have so i mean is that new or have we seen other swords being forged that way Mm, the only sword we've seen being melted down or forged has been ice i believe um other than um i don't know an outdoor shot of uh the uh the, the the smith at uh, winterfell make an arya's sword make a needle right fella?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: right yeah exactly old Micken making needle back in uh, season 1 yeah I, I think it's from last season
2: okay yeah you
0: think so you think it's probably the the ice thing i'll i'll go with that mike i, I think your instincts right on that to be perfectly honest i think they just they just tried to trick you with a uh, tricky camera things that defy the logic of a filmmaker right <laughs> i'm always reading too much into things so yeah probably so i'm
1: totally gullible for that <laughs> uh
0: those tricky tricky marketing people uh give giving us all of 10 seconds of shots and you know usually 70 percent of them are shots we've seen before we love it uh but we also love these chapters, or at least I hope we do. I loved these chapters this week. Once again, Cat of the Canal, Samwell Four, Cersei Three, Brienne Two, and Jamie—or I'm sorry, Brienne Seven, and Jamie Six. Uh, first of all, Mike, uh, you said you were excited about these chapters. Why? Did you feel like a lot was happening? We were all in feast too. Just as to prefaces we're getting close to the end of a feast for crows, a lot closer to the end of a feast for crows than we are to a dance with dragons. Uh, Do you think that's why things uh, you like these chapters is because maybe on a whole, they're all kind of picking up a little more. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, there's things happening, which is nice. (laughs) Um, You know, people actually making moves. We also saw, you know, the, uh, it's nice to see Gendry pop back around. So whenever there's kind of characters that I already like and they pop up again, uh that's always nice. But unfortunately he's not the only one to show up in Brienne's chapter, so mm. yeah, that's for sure. There's lots of people showing up in Brienne's chapter. Bubba, uh how are how are you in regards to the chapters this week? Are you, are you a biter? Or are you a Gendry? <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm a I'm a biter. I'm like we're near the end of this book. And in, in would you call any of this true forward momentum? I mean, there's some twists. Certainly at the end of the Aria chapter, there's this kind of like, what? Moment. But it doesn't feel like it's been built or earned. And I'm actually going to talk about some of that as we go in. To, are, are some of these moments that George has done, uh, do they feel earned? Do they feel real to the series? And hopefully people disagree with me and we can have some good debates. It'll be fun.
0: Excellent. Well, let's move on to Cat of the canals, where a cat, a.k.a. Arya Stark, begins her day with Brusco and his family making their way to the fish market with the girl recalling dreams, her favorite being the wolf dreams. She thinks about her mandate from the kindly man, the history of Bravos, and her three out of 30 days spent in service of the black and white, house of black and white. She makes her way to Ragamund's Harbor, where she recalls many experiences selling shellfish. She interacts with many different types, sharing knowledge and selling fish, including confirmation that her aunt Lysa is dead. She finally ends up at her last regular stop, where Darian has survived Sam's thrashing. After Darian is done entertaining, they leave together. Kat then turns in her money to Brusco and returns to the House of Black and White. She learns about poisons and about more lying from the waif. Then among her three new things she has learned, as she is tasked to do by the Kindly Man, she admits to him that she has killed Darien. The Kindly Man offers her a glass of milk, and the next day she wakes up blind. Wow. Where do you want to start, Mike? Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's a good place to start. <laughs> um I you know, I really uh I liked this chapter quite a bit. Um I like Arya's character and the way she's kind of um, I guess unquestioning just dedicated herself to this to these people and to the the education that she's supposed to get here and, and you know, the kind of she's out selling the fish, but that's clearly not the purpose. You know, we get mentions of her picking up bits of language and meeting all these different people, and, and I thought it was a good kind of example of, of what she's doing right now, you know, um, and her being kind of dedicated to it in that way, I thought was cool. Um, and I really liked the dream stuff at the beginning, and I started thinking, you know, the the start kids have these wolf dreams, you know, and... We're hearing now that uh, Lady Stoneheart is potentially running around with Nymeria and these kind of groups, and I'm wondering if that is going to be the setup for how we finally get the Stark reunion. Is it possible that the Stark reunion, that is obviously really powerful because we've all been waiting for it from the first book, which suggests something about how strong that, that first book is we've all kind of been waiting for the Stark children to have a a reuniting moment. And is it possible that that moment's going to be in dreams as wolves and that they will be able to reunite not only with each other, but also with their mother? Um, It seems like, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the kind of, how exactly that would work, but it seems to me possible that there would be that kind of moment where, you know, one of them is, either dreaming or directly warging and kind of has this moment where they realize that, oh, Arya is right next to me, you know, or Jon is here or Bran is here, where they kind of have that reunion once again, uh, even if it's in kind of another space, you know, uh, or another world. And that, I thought, was really exciting. And then she dreams immediately of the Red Wedding and it just kind of ruined it all. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I mean, it was, good. I like, it
0: was a good, it was a, it was a strong moment, you know, but it just kind of ruined all their lives of feeling just momentarily hopeful and positive, And then nah, no more of that. That's, that's George laying a nice carpet out for you to step on and then pulling it out <laughs> from under you. That's what he's doing. But I'll tell you what, the thing that really struck me about this dream is I got to thinking about this. I mean, we know that Bran is a very powerful warder, right? I mean, he's been having these dreams uh, for a while Arya's been having the dreams for a while, too. But it seems to me that that while Bran may be more powerful in terms of, like, I mean, Arya's obviously never actually warged into anything that we know of, like a Hodor or anything like that. But do we know if Bran has ever yet warged over such a great distance? I mean, she's across a narrow sea from Nymeria. That makes her kind of a, a super wolf dreamer, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. It's incredible.
0: Um, So that was the thing that really stuck out to me about those dreams. Uh, What do you got, Bubba?
1: Well, I I got a million things. I want to talk about that other type of dream where she said, in those dreams she had two feet, always looking for her mother, stumbling through a wasteland of mud and blood and fire. It was always raining in that dream, and she could hear her mother screaming, but a monster with the dog's head would not let her go save her. In that dream she was always weeping, like a frightened little girl, and that is, uh, she's reliving it. I mean, she is, she is having, you know, PTSD, or however you call it, post-traumatic stress disorder, because she keeps living it, and that's tough. And uh, in my own head, I wonder how much time has passed. You know, she's been in Bravos a while. She's picking up the language. And so she's moving along. She wants to be no one, but she can't. Her wolf dreams won't let her, and her normal dreams won't let her.
0: Right, um, and th- and again, uh, as we've talked about before, there's this whole thing about identity uh, laced throughout these books, and and the fact that um, this part of her, while she wants to lose her identity, w- really won't let her lose her identity. And, Baba, my question for you is, um, is it just the fact that her brain is 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 uh, just recalling these things, or is she constantly having? Green dreams of this moment from the past, and that's why it's so vivid and why it bothers her so
1: I would think she's got to be hardwired to do this, you know, as you say, to have these wolf dreams across the narrow sea and in such long distances, you know this is just who she is, and she can't she can't take this away even if she wanted to
0: gotcha, gotcha uh, excellent, all right
1: well, uh let's bubble how about another
0: point, sir well, um.
1: Let's talk about some simple stuff before we get thick in the weeds of, hello, big reveal in this chapter. In that at the end of the chapter, after she's killed Darian, and I'm like, hell yeah, it, she has a wolf dream after she drinks the warm milk, but it isn't really a wolf dream, it is in a dire wolf. It's as a cat, where she has actually become a cat of the canals. She's walking over those rooftops alone. And so it's like she's warging, but now she's warging into the cat, which kind of has been her namesake. You know, cat is her mother's nickname of the canals, but now after she has that warm milk, which blinds her, it's like she she's warging into a different animal.
0: Hmm. Is there a connection, or is it just, what do you think?
1: Well, that I think that's a great question. I certainly think, you know, boy, watch what you drink. When some creepy old man gives you a drink, ladies, watch, make sure you know what's in it.
0: Yeah. Watch out for the roofies. Watch out for the roofies, folks. Um did, and uh but let, let me just ask you this, on your first read, did you just like go what blind? Is this one of those moments that you said wasn't really earned or did because it just jumped yeah. out of
2: nowhere?
1: It does feel like it's it's come out of nowhere. Now what's funny is you go back and you read Arya's first chapter, as she enters the house of black and white, she feels she feels kind of blind as her eyes adjust to it. So she kind of goes through a moment of blindness then. And she even sees one of the accolades or one of the people working there that she thinks is blind. And so maybe George has kind of been setting this up. But certainly, uh, to be honest, on both reads, to me it feels a bit like this is just kind of a shock and a twist for a shock and twist sake. I, I I didn't see how it, it really earned it anyway.
2: Okay. Very good. See, I,
1: did you feel – well, I mean, that's interesting because I, I really disagree
0: because we've been talking about, you know, there's been a lot of kind of hand-wringing about, you know, Arya losing herself and, and Sansa losing herself and, and these kind of things. And then, um, you know, she, like, this part of the story has been, and it's been stated over and over, who are you? I am no one. You're a liar. It's been about her trying to uh, forget herself, you know, Um, which you pointed out that she's clearly not capable of doing. Um, And, you know, I'm reading the chapter, and this is the first time that she's killed somebody that I was actually bothered by it, you know, because she's really not, like, there's no reason. She's just annoyed by him. Is the only reason she killed him. And I don't really care about that character, and I don't really care that he's dead, but just for the fact of, of her killing him, just based on her own annoyance, uh, seemed really shallow to me. But then as soon as she goes in, the first thing she does, you know, is she tells on herself. And, you know, I would say that she is seeking punishment, you know, that she's asking for someone to kind of put her back in line. It didn't read to me like she was saying it with a great deal of confidence. It was more like, you know, I did this thing, now what are you going to do about it?
1: Um and to oh, be fair I, I I to interrupt Mike, I, I thought she was mm-hmm. saying it kind of as a moment of pride.
0: You yeah, didn't she, take you she, took it uh,
1: She you know, she's uh, in this kind of league of assassins and Jock and Agar was assassin, and she's like, Yeah, I got a I got a a third thing for you. Arya so outstart killed this jerk. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it was she was looking for punishment. I think she said it kind of almost as bragging. But that's
0: but my the, you know We haven't really, like, the chapter doesn't exactly go to the kindly man's POV, but it kind of does at the end move to, you know, it's not exactly his POV, but he definitely kind of becomes the elephant in the room, um, you know, when she's talking to him. And and I had never seen him, I mean, I know, like, theoretically, that's what they do, but I had never seen that particular character as, you know, kind of violent or braggadocious. Um, and it seemed to me interesting because when was the last time that she had an opportunity to really learn a kind of ethical lesson, right? She's not going to learn ethics from the hound, you know, so that was part of what made me feel that way is now she's kind of in a situation where, you know, she could potentially learn something from these people other than just how to kill. And it seemed like she was kind of stepping into that, um, you know, and part of why, I, I mean, it seemed like, I mean, there's nothing kind of, of like breezy or nonchalant about the end of it and about that moment. And so that was part of what made me feel like she was confessing as opposed to bragging is because I felt like she if she was bragging, it wouldn't have been so um, serious, you know, uh, mm-hmm. just the whole kind of like tone at the end of the chapter took on a much more kind of serious feel as if she was expecting punishment. So I may have read that differently than you did, but when that, you know, but then when we get to the line of she wakes up blind, I felt like that was a great payoff of her kind of of seeking guidance. Um, mm. Maybe punishment is too big of a word, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think she expected to be blinded for it.
2: But I definitely
0: think she's expecting some sort of, of um, reprimanding uh, reaction. Interesting. Because you both are taking such opposite views, I think the big question for a first-time reader at this point to ask is, do we see her being waking up blind as a punishment? Or obviously she can't really go back to work for Briscoe anymore. Do we see it as a graduation of some kind? Um, that is the question I think to keep asking yourself as we go forward um, mm. which is kind of interesting to think about um, I'll tell you exactly why she killed Darian and I, I really I, I don't like Darian at all I but I still am a little concerned that, that she did it uh, just a little bit so um, nonchalantly but the, the exact reason why she killed Darian is because uh, of my favorite line in the book so far and that's He's a man of the night's watch, she thought, as he sang about some stupid lady throwing off some stupid tower because her stupid prince was dead. I mean, come on, where do whores go? Uh, That gets old. Greek it rhymes with whatever, that gets old. But Arya, using the word stupid, never, ever gets old. And this is the highest concentration of stupid I've seen in the book so far. But that's that's why she killed him. Um. Mention mentioned a Solidor sand, Bubba.
1: That's true. Uh, Do you want to talk about that? About how he's apparently, you know, he's left Stannis' side, and he's back to being a pirate and raiding ships in the Narrow Sea.
0: Yeah, I don't know if there's that much more we can say about it, but uh, it's just nice to uh, see a character that I can recognize just by the description and all just uh, (laughs) uh, uh, being able to pick him out. And what else you got, sir?
1: Well, okay, let's just get to it, people. There are kind of a big uh, thing dropped in the middle of this chapter, and Matt, you just mentioned it a second ago. Where do whores go? We we now know. So do either of you guys want to jump on this ticking time bomb that's laid there right at our feet?
0: Mike, you'll get first dibs if you want it. (laughs) No,
1: I'm passing.
0: Okay, so it's time to ask, who is the sailor's wife?
1: Well, Uh, well, 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 let's hear it. Matt, who is the sailor's wife?
0: Well, she's a woman who's waiting for her true husband, who everyone thinks is lost at sea, and even psychics say he's dead. Um, She's uh, gone to the isle of of many gods many a time uh, to to look for him. Um, And and Kat kind of looks at her in a way that... um, like she doesn't. Do you, Bubba? Let me just ask you this: sure. Do you almost get the impression that that cat knows more than she lets us know in her POV?
1: Uh, no, I don't honestly get that. Why? Why do you okay. say that?
0: Well, it just seemed like that she kind of just kind of not. It's kind of nonchalantly mentioned in all this stuff, and maybe that's just the way George layers stuff in. But um, you know, there's been people who think that uh, well, there's a connection between the sailor's wife, and Lana, is that correct? She was Yeah, well, the same...
2: yeah, I, I, I'm
1: going to jump in here for a bit, if it's okay. The sailor's wife speaks the common tongue of Westeros. So what? where does that imply she's from? It implies she's well, from Westeros. Right. What's interesting is she only beds men who marry her. Now, that's very interesting about a, a, a prostitute who only beds people who marry her. Okay, let's keep going. There's something sad about her is what Arya thinks. Mm-hmm. And um, now here's where you have to go a bit deeper into this. Yeah, She was pregnant by the time this other prostitute, L- L- Lana, was her, you know, by the time she was Lana's age. And so Lana, we know, is about, uh, only about 14, this prostitute named Lana. All right?
2: Mm-hmm. Now
1: here's where you can really... Get yourself into a deep bit of trouble. If you look at the character index in in the you know that describes all the characters in all these cities, you see at the back of the book where all these character indexes are, it describes Lana as being the sailor's wife's daughter. Mm-hmm. Now, what does Lana look like? Well, she's a very happy girl with fine, long, golden hair. And when she's sold she actually charges three times as much as for any other girl Lana costs. So where are we going with this? Let's just get right to it. Anytime you hear the name Lana in Golden here, what does that sound like? It obviously sounds like Lannister, Lana. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, one of the Lannisters was going to be named Lana in uh, one of the distant Lannisters in in another chapter was mentioned was going to be named Lana. And... What her age is perfect for about what? Well, it's perfect to be the child of Tyrion Lannister from his first wife. hmm. And, and his first wife, he only, you know, it was after she Tyrion married the first wife that she actually slept with him. And we are getting into some deep, deep things. Is this where whores go? Is this where they head out? Is it that after being, you know, treated so poorly by Tywin and everybody that she was sent across the narrow sea and now she lives this life with a with Tyrion's daughter, who he certainly wouldn't have known he had, named Lana, and she charges three times as much for her, which of course reminds you on that infamous terrible Tywin night, Tyrion paid more. You know, all Tywin soldiers who would who would uh have sex with Tyrion's wife paid the silver. But Tyrion paid more because he's a Lannister, and Lannisters are worth more. And then here this Lana is worth three times as much. And is it at all possible, Matt, that we are finding out that the sailor's wife is Tyrion's first wife? Could that even be possible?
0: Could she be Tysha? That is an excellent question. Let me pose another theory that is possibly out there. Uh, But this is dependent on when you think... That Jeryn Lannister left to go find the sword. Do we know how long ago that was?
1: Well, we have an idea because Jeryn has a bastard daughter who is 11 years old, who people okay. know exists. So you would think Jerrion, uh wouldn't have left uh, no sooner than 11 years ago because here he has this bastard daughter who's around still.
0: All right. And what was Jeryn Lannister?
1: Well, he was the Lannister who decided to cross uh, the Narrow Sea and look for the ancestral sword of House Lannister, Valerian steel sword called Bright Roar.
0: Right. So he was a sailor.
1: Exactly right.
0: Uh, and we've had an awful lot of mention of Jeryn in the last two books, more so than I would ever think. So I propose, and we'll let Mike, uh, I, I think you have a lot more evidence, but I'm I just going on a gut instinct here. I think that the sailor's wife is indeed Jerrion Lannister's wife because of the evidence of the fact that uh, he was lost at sea according to Arya and that uh, everyone thinks he's dead which I asked I think uh, in last week's chapter in the last Tyrion chapter Bubba if you thought if Jerrion was alive or not and you thought he was dead well if it is true that he is dead then perhaps the sailor's wife is the wife to Jerry and Lannister, which would also have all of the Lannister traits. Might also, uh, Lana might also inherit the Lannister name of Lana. Mike, what do you think? Where are we, which one of us, you, you don't have to say are right or wrong, but which one would you put more weight into? Bubba's is much more interesting. I will say that. I mean, uh, it. I would say that the, because, you know, Tyrion's not known as a sailor, so just the title alone would suggest to me that it would be the uncle instead of instead of Tyrion. Uh, but there's been so much of this where do whores go business, and because he's so much more important of a character, I'm tending to lean towards the Bubba theory.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: even though I think there's probably as much or more to support the uh the uncle theory.
2: Yay.
0: We, and, uh so how much of this did you even think about when we read this Mike, or or did you even care? Because I, I think this is one of those details that uh is fascinating on, on a on a micro level, maybe not so much on a macro level. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just kind of weird that it was in this chapter. Um, was, you know, I mean, I <clears throat> I noticed it, but I didn't think too deeply about it uh, because there was so much else going on. And then once you get to the whole blindness thing, it just that pretty much subsumes everything else. Right on. Right on. Well, uh, Bubba, uh, I have to say, I give it to you. You made a great argument, sir. Um, I still don't believe you, though. No. But that's all right, because you're right more often than I am, so uh, you're probably right.
1: (laughs) Well, let me say that this seems, you know, you wouldn't. Which would Martin prefer to do? Like, what do you think he would prefer to do? Do you think he'd prefer to. The hard part is this is so minor that it could be Jerry Lannister's kid, and it could just be a little subtle thing that he hides in there. But if infamous Sailor's Wife is going to stick around some, I don't think he would dedicate this much time if she wasn't. uh, Tysha. We're going to have to see. There's some other little fun things about in here, and certainly as we go forward in Bravos you want to pay attention to all these plays and the names. For example, one of the plays that the Mummers do is called The Conqueror's Two Wives, and so you would assume that's about Aegon the Conqueror and his two sister-wives. Uh, there's this thing, the Black Pearl, a.k.a. Hey, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, Black Pearl was a woman who was fathered by a Targaryen, and so they're little little bit of history in all these chapters, for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, anything
1: else? Uh, I just, you know, I felt like the whole,
0: the the last line with, you know, with the blindness thing was, I think, the book version of when, you know, he pushes Bran out the window in the beginning of the TV series. It was just like, for me, in the reading, it was the the most kind of like, oh, you know, that kind of like where you sit back and like, wait a minute. Read that again. You know, I had that reaction to it in the same way that I had to the end of the first episode. And I can't say that that's happened at any other point in the book. Um, you know, even, I mean, we've talked about this before, the difference between the book and the television show. You know, the the pacing of uh, Ned's demise in, you know, in the book takes four or five pages. In the TV show, it happens at the pace of life you know, at that kind of like the pace of the heartbeat. Um, and so, I, you know, it's one of those things that I think is more effective in television than it is in the book, and, including when, you know, brand goes out the window. It's more effective on television than it is in the book. But this is one of those things that's just so much more effective in the book because you're in it. And how do you show, you know, she wakes up blind in the TV show? Like she sits up and looks around and can't see anything or her hands reach out. or It just doesn't work the same as it does in the, inside the brain. You know, so I was really, uh, I was really impressed with the end of the chapter, and and uh, went back and reread it a few times just to kind of like try to see if there was any predictors in it. But there's really not. So I was really pleased with this one. All right, excellent. Bubba, what else you got?
1: Nothing. I just wonder how long, if for the rest of time, you know, Bran never regained use of his legs. Is Arya now blind for the rest of the series?
0: Mm, excellent question to ask. Um
1: I, I As a first time reader, I'm assuming not. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: who knows? Who knows? I a couple of other quick little things about some of the stories that uh Kat uh or uh, has heard or learned over her time uh working as Cat at the Canals. Um what what do they mean by reigns of toads?
1: Biblical stuff, huh?
0: That's kind of wild. I mean, I mean, obviously the whole dragons hatching thing—that's pretty obvious where that story is coming from. But uh, reigns of toads—I don't get it. Mike, any thoughts on that, Bubba? Anybody?
1: No, I just—I just, I just it was very obviously biblical
2: allegory.
0: I just okay.
1: imagined uh Arya sitting at
0: the the gas station with William H Macy in the End of Magnolia, yeah. just looking around. Okay. <laughs> there's um, there you get um there there's something else that I just want to say about this chapter, and gosh there is you know uh this late in the book, you wouldn't expect there to be this much world building um but there is the difference for me is that um this world building for bravos here uh it was far more interesting to me than the uh than the Tyrian chapter about volantis. I don't know how you got in comparison of those two, but that um that that I, I just plotted through the Tyrion chapter, whereas here I skipped through this one. And, and maybe it's just my partiality to Arya, um, but I I just found I found it much a much easier read in terms of those kind of details. Um, and if there aren't any comments on that or whatever, we can move on.
1: No, he no, he, I, built, he built a lot of worlds, but I, that's still just not what draws me into the series.
2: Okay.
0: I agree with you that it is more interesting in this chapter than the other one. And that's kind of annoying because
1: it shows that he can do it.
0: <laughs> so like, did he just need another cup of coffee the day that he wrote the Tyrion chapter or is, there <laughs> some other, like, is
2: it like that simple or was there some other
0: purpose for it? You know, which I, I still have yet to figure out what the purpose was of, of the Tyrion chapter moving the way that it did. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I I tend to agree with you. It, it does kind of make you think. Well, um, the difference is here is we actually read a chapter that was probably written by George um, at least a year or two after uh, then we're reading this chapter. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know at what point he decided to split the story apart. To be perfectly honest, Bubba, do you know?
1: Uh, it was pretty. There's all sorts of kind of different thoughts. In fact. There's a thought that a, a Aria chapter, which how do I say this, uh, we haven't come to yet, was actually the first Aria chapter he wrote because he was going to do a five-year time jump, and so mm. uh, you would assume he had to go back and write this stuff at the very least when you decide to split it into two books.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Um. Let's see. Uh, With that, we'll move on to Samwell 4. Where Samwell, Gilly, and Dalla's baby are on board the Cinnamon Wind off the coast of Dorne, where Sam is leading a funeral service for Maester Aemon. Aww, who has passed away. Aww. Sam recalls all that he had to give up or not give up to pay for the passage aboard the ship. Aemon's thoughts about a prince who was promised Daenerys and death... And Sam and Gilly then talk about Haman, Melisandre, John, and Gilly decides to eventually name the baby after the maester. In celebration of the maester's life, the crew of the Cinnamon Wind get drunk on rum. And Sam and Gilly partake as well, and eventually, just like the rest of the Cinnamon Wind crew, have sex. Sam then spends the next day on the ship in an episode of Days of Our Lives soap opera, pondering his oath in Gilly. After some advice from the captain's daughter, Koja Moe, Sam finally confronts Gilly, and they seemingly resolve, well, they resolve absolutely nothing. But, okay, uh, Bubba, why don't you start us off with this chapter? I think I know where you want to go right off the bat, but we'll see. All
1: right, well, I want to, you know what, folks? We've got to do some RIPs right now. We've got to say, rest in peace, Maester Amon, and rest in peace, Sam's virginity. Let's pour one out
2: for these
1: guys. He's lost a lot there. Okay, so let's just get right to it. Maester Aemon says that his uh, great-grandson, or no, it would I guess great grand nephew or whatever, Rhaegar Targaryen, the infamous last dragon, he thought he was going to be the prince that was promised, and he was born amongst all the salt and smoke in the destruction of Summer Hall, But no, no, no. Then Rhaegar thinks, no, no, no. It's my son which will be the prince that was promised. He becomes convinced that the prince that was promised would be his son. But, of course, what if it was his son? Just not his son Aegon, who he thought, and in v- Danny's vision of the house on the Don dying, when Aegon was born, he goes, this is Aegon. His will be a song of ice and fire. He is the prince that was promised. But maybe his actual son that was the prince who was promised was Jon Snow.
0: And that would jive very well with Melisandre's vision. Show me Azora high and right. she sees Jon's face. Uh, on the oh. other hand, Eamon does have the other the whole this whole other thing going, where he jumps on the Daenerys train, saying that dragons have no sex, and thus the translation could have easily, I guess, meant a princess. So, and of course, we know that Daenerys' uh, dragons were born, and perhaps she was reborn during the time of the comet, or right before the time of the comet, that Rhaegar thought Aegon's, uh, his son Aegon meant uh, that Aegon was the prince that was promised. Um, so lots of confusion in these chapters. Where are you leaning, Bubba?
1: I've always thought it was John. I'm not saying that this will be a simple story where John is just this, you know, kind of a, you know, the chosen one prophecy or anything. But uh, I've always thought it makes the most sense if, if The Prince Who's Promised has a song of ice and fire. Well, Jon Snow being the child of ice, Leanna Stark in flyer, Rhaegar Targaryen. He's the one that makes the most sense. But he certainly hasn't been reborn among salt and smoke, that's for sure.
0: Excellent, yeah. And Mike, obviously Melisandra thinks that it's Stannis. And we find out that, that Stannis, Robert, and Renly uh, have a grandmother, rael uh who is a Targaryen? So they have Targaryen blood in them. But is this one of those things? I mean, is Melisandre wrong? Oh. Obviously, we think that she's wrong. But could this be one of those things that misled Melisandre to Stannis?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's uh, wishful thinking, you know. Yeah. Go to
0: go to war with the army you have. <laughs> The other thing that I find really interesting, Bubba, maybe we can address sure. this. Well, we can address it as, as a group, but Eamon says the dragon has three heads.
1: Dragon must have three heads, which is also something, if I'm correct, is something Danny learned in the House of the Undying. The, the
0: Undying. Book. Yes, she did. So
1: who are those three heads?
0: That's the big question. I, I think, you know, I, you want to say Daenerys? <laughs> us R plus L equals J people. We also think John, But who would be the third?
1: Well, it could be Maester Aemon, but... Oh, wait, no, he's dead.
0: Yeah, he <laughs> thought that he might be one himself, too, but he's all, he realized that he was too dead. There's a couple of candidates that come up, Mike, and let me, let me put a couple of these out there. We've learned that Stannis has Targaryen blood. We also saw that... Well, we've heard Brown, Ben Plum say that he's got some Targaryen in his line, and the dragons seem to like him. Um then we have this Aegon if he is of true Targaryen descent which seems unlikely now but uh okay. if he is well you never know i i, I mean you've been, we've been kind of doubting it th- through our whole read because Tyrion doubts it but uh, this this young Aegon he's another possible candidate i guess for this third this third head what do you think mike
1: <laughs> i mean is it impossible that it's Tyrion mm, how would that be because it's got to have Targaryen blood, right?
0: So
2: it's not. I'm
1: just trying to figure
0: out a way that, that Tyrion and Daenerys are ever going to sit in the same room together and, and make sense out of each other. Well, there is that vision uh, that Makoro had that has uh, Tyrion standing amidst dragons old and new, young, and whatever. Um,
1: true and false.
0: True and false. Um, so maybe he does play a role in it somehow, but is he the third head? But is he the third head? I I just kept thinking it was the the young Aegon. Um, but you know he's had such a shaky part in the thing that it seems kind of hard to believe. It's
2: possible. We, it just seems get... hard to
0: count on to like be like
2: yeah that's it you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Um who do you think has a – so Agon would have been your choice, except that it just seems like the circumstances are eliminating him right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, and it also just
0: kind of, the you know, the fact that he's just not been a very big player so far, which I suppose could be reversed by the end of the tandem read. We've still got, I don't know how many hundred pages to hundreds go. Hundreds
1: and hundreds and hundreds of pages.
0: It won't <laughs> end. It's a never-ending saga.
1: Bubba, how about you? You got an opinion on the third head?
2: At this uh, point Well, in this story, I'll
1: just say that I fear it's Tyrion, even though that doesn't, to me, that, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that.
0: Not a huge fan of, of it being Tyrion. Well, we got two possible saying Tyrion. Very interesting, very interesting. All right, well, we will have to keep on reading and see if we get any answer to that, or if we can decode it a little bit. Um Bubba, you probably have a little more math to do, but let's let's talk to uh, let's talk to Mike real quick because right. I haven't really got any initial thoughts from him about this chapter. I mean, dude, really, even Aemon wants to bang Daenerys. Like, that's Whoa. really, like even Aemon.
1: You know how Targaryens roll? They keep it in the family.
0: <laughs> so much Daenerys love. Uh, you know, I it, I enjoyed the chapter. Uh, I do not mourn for Sam's virginity, uh, nor should he. Aww.
2: Um,
0: you know, it's uh, I I mean, it's kind of unfortunate, you know, all the wanton sexuality on the summer Isle boat. You know, with all the the talk we've been having of of uh, you know people colored like teak who can't control their sexuality but then you get to the the kind of end of it and you have this uh, and i don't want to say enlightening but almost inspiring speech you know that that presents it uh presents their their wanton sexuality as a a philosophy not like an accident you know what i mean not like sort of a just a cultural difference, but like a real established thought process. Um and then he still wants to jump in the water. he's still thinking about how far he can swim after that great speech. So I was kind of annoyed by the end. Uh but I it was a you know, it was a really good chapter. There was a lot that happened and I thought it was a nice send off for uh, a nice send off for Eamon. I like the thoughts of Emil, Eamon Balborn or Eamon Steelsaw. Those are great names, um, but the thing that gets me about this now, I got totally confused by by uh, parts of this chapter because Sam says that Craster is the baby's grandfather. So my question is: Was Dalla one of Craster's daughters?
1: No, because I the didn't.
0: baby the baby I, that's with them is not Gilly's baby. Correct.
1: So are they talking
0: about naming? The baby that's at the wall,
1: Eamon's
0: Steel song. I, I I got totally confused by all of that.
1: No, I just thought they were talking about naming the baby they had, which they're pretending is Gilly's baby, after Maester Eamon.
0: Oh, okay. I did. Did Sam say that out loud instead
2: of?
1: I'm not sure. He, it? I'm not sure he did. It, you're right. It was a bit muddled. He uh, dare I say it? He was thinking with something other than his brain a bit for this chapter.
0: Uh, There was a lot of blood in the wrong place, yes. You know what? Uh, You have
1: too much rum, and this is what can happen, people.
0: Things go foggy. That is true. That is true. It became Um, a Jimmy
1: Buffett song. (laughs) Out on your boat with your uh... (laughs) rum.
2: What else you got, Bubba?
1: Well, uh, one thing I keep pointing out is the one thing Martin keeps pointing out. Sam, make sure to let the readers know that he has this broken horn. From the fist of the first men, aka the horn of Jerimon. Ding, 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 ding.
0: Yes, Mike, are you convinced that's the horn of Jerimon? I, it sure sounds like it. I don't can't uh, see any reason not to mention or to keep mentioning it if it if it's just a horn. And why would he keep? Why of all things, of all the things that he he had to give up and and whatever, um, man, a broken horn. I'd be saying, hey, you want this? Right. The magic horn, man. I got this north of the wall. Take it. You know, <laughs> this should be worth the price of passage alone. But no, he holds on to it. Something very peculiar about that horn. Absolutely. Um, I have another little tomato, and then I'll let you guys conclude with any final thoughts on this chapter. Well, let's hear it. Here is a quote from my Kindle version of the book. Sure. The only thing Kojimo loved better than her bow was bouncing Dana's boy on her knee, and singing to him in the summer tongue.
1: Is your book getting autocorrected, Dana?
0: <laughs> yes. What <laughs> That's the hell's going what, on here? It's supposed to be Dalla's Boy, right?
2: That's right.
0: Yeah. So I, I'm just reading this online at, at the Kindle, uh, Kindle reader website that I have this on. And that is what was said. I I took it straight from the text and and wrote it down. I was just – because I'm disgusted. I'm disgusted by how many typos. where I have to go back and go, wait, wait. Oh, okay. That's who. Stop printing this out with spell check. You Have you tweeted them about this yet? Because I feel like so many people are, like, you know, sitting on an airplane and they're tweeting United Airlines, like, we've been sitting here for 10 minutes, you know, and, and they get little responses even for these ridiculous nothing complaints. It seems like maybe if you tweeted Kindle a
2: yeah. dozen
0: times
1: over the course I, I think of the day, we need, I think we need to send Jeff Bezos to the wall.
0: <laughs> here is what I want: here is we sure. have thousands of listeners to this podcast. Right. I want you all to tweet Kindle and say, "Who is Dana's boy in *A Feast for Crows*?" <laughs> no spoilers. A couple of. A couple of screenshots, you know, a couple of like, God, you're so stupid. Like get real, you know, arrogant about it. It should work. (laughs) Uh, That's all I got on the chapter, but uh, the floor is open. Any any other thoughts, guys?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, you know, I kind of think it's good that Sam and Gilly were out in the ocean and away from all the trees that couldn't see them, because I think that would scar Bran for life to see that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: good point good point it's also i
1: know oh sorry yeah go
0: i know this is only the second time as i recall that an inappropriately aged person had breast milk in their mouth but it's still i guess it's just weird enough that it still reads as like a theme to me so uh, hopefully i can forget about that
1: will they do this scene on the show how about that do you want to see this scene with Sam and <laughs> lovely Hannah Murray as Gilly.
2: Oh. Uh, I'm good.
0: <laughs> if it's shot in an artful way, Oh, no,
2: brother. And not
0: with a bunch, not with a bunch of other people's cr- crew of the Cinnamon Wind going crazy behind them at the same time, then yeah, sure, why not? <laughs>
1: uh, now, one of the things in here is something that I always point out, which I. Feel like for complete spoiler safety, I won't go into too much detail. But one of the things, kind of off his rocker, Maester Amon says, is he says, The Sphinx is the riddle, not the riddler.
0: Had to throw one of those in there. I love that. I would have, you know what? I did not catch that on my first read until uh, we had our little roundtable about the books in general this past summer, Bubba. And I'm so glad you pointed that out to me uh, back then because. This time when I saw it, I was just like, oh, there it is, right there. Bubba, or uh, Mike, do you have any idea what Bubba's talking about? No, well, first read, I missed it. I mean, I missed the significance of it, I guess. Well, uh, there's evidence in this book already, and there'll be more, I guess, more evidence to come, correct? There Bubba?
1: will be. There'll be more evidence to come, but as crazy as it is, this thing about the Sphinx Throughout these hundreds and thousands of pages we've read, we've actually heard mention of a Sphinx before, so I don't want to give any more away, but uh it's just a fun little Easter egg that Mr. Martin puts in here.
0: It is People a fun really little Easter want to egg. Some
1: math. Yeah.
0: And and you can still say you can do some math in another way and say, where is it that Sam is heading?
1: Uh at this point he's on the love boat. You know, probably right. Porta Vallarta. Is that where they always went on the love boat? <laughs>
0: Right. Um so uh yeah. So there you go, Mike, something to chew on uh for another, you know, 684 pages. How about that? <laughs>
1: um
0: anything else, guys?
1: Well, Maester Amen, he was he was a wonderful character and it is a bit sad to see him go.
2: I agree. Is it okay. um I mean what does that do does that have any implications
0: for the kind of for the Targaryen line? <clears throat> I mean the only what members of the Targaryen family are alive that we're aware of? If Daenerys.
1: Well now it is now, just Daenerys.
0: She's the only one that we are certain is a remaining Targaryen.
1: Yeah, Maester, Aemon, Daenerys, and then I guess you could flip a coin on old Aegon or not, but uh, that would seemingly be it.
0: So does that, I mean, does the end of the, I mean, does that have any implications for us? I guess not, because he was already, I mean, he's obviously not having any heirs and had backed out of any kind of responsibility related to the Targaryens. So does the fact that they're down to one, for sure remember i mean is there does that mean anything that was the only thing that like i couldn't really pick anything out of you know is is what the kind of end of the targaryen line really means mm. um but i i mean but in the end i kind of figured that it, his death probably means more for that character you know it's probably more just about like oh maester raymond's gone than anything having to do with the larger story
2: yeah yeah, um,
0: I, there is a, a thing about, uh, and Bubba, you had brought this up on a prior podcast so that I find very interesting. Um, we have Eamon dying here, um, and seemingly at the furthest point he's ever been from the wall in a very long time. Did did you correlate that uh, with with maybe the magic of the wall keeping Eamon alive, or did well, you just he, think it's
2: just as yeah, time? Yeah, he
1: had implied it. He had implied it. That uh, you know he that the magic of the wall, whatever you want to call it, was helping keep him alive. Uh, and now that he's so far away, uh, he just had no no prayer. It was just his time. One hundred and two years is a good life.
0: One hundred and two years is a good life. God rest seven gods rest, Maester Amen. Um, anything else, guys?
1: No, let's roll.
0: All right, it's on to Cersei eight. Cersei receives news of a victory at Dragonstone and a terrible injury to Sir Loris Tyrell from Iran Waters. Though Loris clings to life, his injuries seem mortal. She delivers the news with detail to Marjorie personally. But the next day, Pena returns to report that Marjorie still refuses to believe that her brother will die. She is presented Cersei is then presented with another dwarf head that is not Tyrion and sends that head's deliverer to Kyburn in anger. She hears petitions from Zalabar Zul, alchemist Lord Hallen, a group of merchants regarding the Iron Bank, all who she refuses to help, and then receives a delegation from the faith that includes Lancel, which inspires a debate about brothels. She receives news of Giles Rosby taking a turn for the worse. Her dinner with Tommen results in him forbidding Cersei to hurt Marjorie, so Cersei makes Tommen hurt Pate instead. She, reveals in she revels in Marjorie's misfortune before falling asleep to a dream. The dream recreates her childhood visit to Maggie the Frog, a fortune teller who gave Cersei some disturbing prophecies after tasting Cersei's blood. The dream ends violently. And Cersei summons Pycelle to her chambers, ordering a potion for dreamless sleep, and receiving his opinion on prophecies. The next morning, she summons Kybern, consulting about forestalling prophecies from her dream, and plots to ruin Marjorie. What you got, Mike?
2: Uh,
0: I thought her saying something about taking Marjorie's tongue out in front of Tommen was like a weird slip. That seemed to me. That I mean, it kind of like passed by pretty quickly. But that I don't—that can't be good, you know. Because I mean, his, it's it's been presented pretty clearly that his loyalties are not with his mother, who's always telling him what he can't do, but with Marjorie, who's always telling him what he should be doing, or could be able to do. Uh, it seemed to me like that, like it was passed over fairly quickly. But I feel like that's going to be important. It just seemed weird, too, because, you know, she is kind of filled with rage and and says sharp things all the time, you know, but, like, this whole plan she's had going with the Kettle Blacks, the way she even talks about that has been more kind of subtle. That just seemed to me, I was shocked by that little moment. Um, And, you know, of course, you noted I could taste the salt in her tears, and it just seems really aggressive and crazy but then it seems aggressive and crazy so much so that he repeats it (laughs) you know for sure you're supposed to take that this is you know this is a a step beyond so
1: I like this chapter quite a bit.
0: Excellent. Uh, Bubba where you want to go?
1: Well I want to go to this you know I want to kind of go to what I consider the meat of this chapter and that is visit to Maggie the Frog. And how I don't like this develop in the story at all. That theoretically Cersei, when she was a kid, gave her a prophecy which kind of pointed her on a life path towards this terribleness ever since she was a teen. And I'm not a fan of it. Theoretically Cersei's been afraid need need to fear the Valonqar her whole life. And Valonqar apparently means brother in Valerian. And so is this The real reason why Cersei has always hated her brother Tyrion, or does it go back to the fact that Tyrion, when he was born, killed their mother? It seems like a kind of messy thing there. The fact that Maggie the Frog was so on the nose about, look, you'll have three kids and uh, your husband will have 16, you know, kind of seems, once again, just so blatantly kind of on the nose, it seems a bit tough. But I'll, I suppose, in the chapter's favor, I would say that it does give you a lot of things to ponder Maggie the Frog says that uh, you know uh, Cersei will be queen until there comes another younger and more beautiful to cast you down and take all that you hold dear who is the younger queen that will you know that's one of the things you might start thinking about is it is it Margaery is it Daenerys is Daenerys going to come and take all that Cersei holds dear when Daenerys if and whenever decides to come into this is the young queen supposed to be Sansa Sansa, Queen of the Queen of the North, maybe. Who knows? And so uh, there are kind of positive questions that you'll look into these, but I just wasn't a whole fan of this kind of suddenly new motivation. Four books in, being given to Cersei and her actions.
0: That's very interesting that you bring up Sansa because I'd kind of forgotten about their uh, her interplay with Sansa during a clash with kings. I honestly had, um, and this. Prophecy does think that maybe, obviously, Sansa was going to marry Joffrey at one point. Um, This prophecy would seem to uh, uh, make it uh, why she would treat Sansa so poorly. Um, Marjorie, on the other hand, uh, about the whole taking taking uh, someone, you know, all that she holds dear away from her. You think about the Tyrell involvement in the purple wedding. That that uh, obviously, uh, who 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 wouldn't? Joffrey, you know, who wouldn't think that Joffrey was the most important thing to him? Their, their very life. And so um, right. that that could be a, a point to Marjorie. Um, and like you said, uh, we all hope that Daenerys eventually comes to Westeros, or at least some of us do. I won't say all of us. Um, so uh, that could very well be t- true, too. What, what do you think, Mike, uh, of those three candidates? Who seems most likely to be the candidate right now? I mean Marjorie seems the most obvious but I just don't see her as a threat I see her grandmother as a lot more of a threat than her um, as an individual character so it seems like she's probably it seems like right now like maybe she's being set up as kind of a straw man you know so you know she Marjorie is, is supposed to be the one and then somehow she gets taken care of and, but that's not really the one, you know? So I think everything on the surface is pointing toward Marjorie, but that just seems a little too easy of an answer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, gold shall be their crowns and gold their shrouds. And when your oh. tears have drowned, the Valonqar shall wrap his hands around your pale white throat and choke the life from you. So gold shall be their crowns. Hair color? Or that they all three will be on the throne? What do you think, Bubba?
1: Well that's an interesting point. We know down in Dorne that people are trying to crown poor uh, poor middle daughter Marcella. And so it doesn't mean Marcella's gonna actually wear a crown? I mean, this is there's some interesting thoughts going into this, but certainly bad premonition about all of them if gold will be their shroud, because uh, that implies they're all going to die. Sweet Tommen and sweet Marcella, who I don't think anybody would want to pass
2: on.
0: Well, they certainly don't deserve it. Um, And and neither did Joffrey. Let's just make sure that we say that. Uh, Neither did Joffrey. Um, And then you brought up the whole thing about Valonqar, meaning brother, um, well, brother's a pretty vague term. Does it necessarily mean her brother? Could it be another brother? Because there's lots of brothers out there. You, you have uh, Loras Tyrell, who everybody, at least Marjorie, thinks is still alive. You have uh, you have obviously Tyrion. You have Jaime. You have uh, I don't know uh, the Hound. You have. Uh, I'm just lots of brothers out there. You got any thought about who the Valancar might be? Obviously, Cersei thinks it's Tyrion, but the fact that Cersei's wrong so much makes me
2: <laughs>
0: wonder, you know, if Tyrion's even in the equation at all. What do you think, Mike? I mean, I took Leader crowns to mean hair, and that was part of what... To jump back just a, a bit, that was part of what made me wonder about Tyrion. Is there any... Do we have any indication that Tyrion is potentially actually not Tywin's? Is there uh, dwarfism in their bloodline, or is that a result of inbreeding? Is there, you know, is there any way that Tyrion is not her full brother? Well, these, um, these are
1: these are good questions. Certainly, the fact that Tyrion had mismatching eyes certainly another uh, I don't want to call it a defect, but certainly interesting thing about his birth. And also, uh, they
0: point out in this chapter that he had brown hair,
2: right?
1: Oh, I don't remember or, that. I know he, his hair was kind of more whitish than blonde. I know that. Uh, I know that the way he was described when he was born is very similar to the way some of these Targaryen kind of, you know, monster babies are born. If you remember when Daenerys's child was born back in. A, a Game of Thrones, the child that she never saw, because Mary Mazdor theoretically let it die and stuff. It was described as a baby with leathery skin and a tail. And a lot of people describe Tyrion as, as having a tail when he was born. But, of course, that could have just been to insult the uh, little imp. But uh, thoughts, I guess, that can make your head bubble up in this. To be honest, in this chapter, Cersei herself says, you know, Tyrion was never my brother. You know, You know, he's not my brother, if he ever was. No, you know, Cer- Cersei has kind of a sly statement there, wondering if if Tyrion was truly ever her brother.
2: So that
0: that moment led me not to thinking that, you know, about all of the other people who have or are brothers in the series, but then that to me, if you knock out Tyrion, I hadn't thought of anybody else. I went straight to Jamie. And the idea of Jamie choking her out, uh, I really liked a lot. I well, mean that's a golden
1: hand apparently.
0: That's a powerful moment, Um, and you know, I don't think it would be, I think it would almost be one of those, not so much rage as, well, if I can't have you, nobody can, Um, and Jamie hasn't really shown that kind of, I don't know, jealousy is the word, he hasn't really shown himself to be that kind of killer, Uh, but if he was going to be over anybody,
2: You'd think that it would make sense for it to be his uh, his sweet sister. Well, yeah. if
1: if this prophecy you can count as a hundred percent correct, and so many of these prophecies you can, then in some ways yeah. you can kind of breathe easy for Cersei until Tommen and, and Marcella die, <laughs> because it's like ah, oh, she's fine till that happens.
0: Yeah, but this is a lady, this is a lady giving a prophecy who came up with the sentence, the worms will have your maidenhead. That's scary Ooh. as hell. Like, I I am really, uh, I am inclined to believe her.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: That's just such <laughs> a vicious line. I mean, my God. Well, and, uh, and, you know, according to the way Cersei thinks, it it, it came true. The little girl, her friend, died uh, very young before she ever married or anything. Um, uh, have we but, had a specific number of Robert's bastards mentioned before. Have we had to mention that he would have sixteen specifically?
1: Yeah, and can you add them all up? Because obviously some are missing. Hmm.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know yeah. they,
0: you know, they kind of went on a little bit of a spree when Joffrey became uh, became king. But we never got a count on that spree, did we?
1: No, we know through the books of uh, Edric Storm, who uh, in the show, they kind of made a Gendry. Do, <laughs> there's Gendry, that's two. We know of one called Maya Stone, who's in the veil, that's three. But yeah, it's kind of hard to kind of add up 16 for sure. Oh, well, there was uh, the baby who uh, was there at the brothel, who Ned visited, the baby uh, way back when in season one. Ned visited that baby in the brothel who had the dark hair, so there's a fourth right there.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, well,
0: well, again, I'll go back to that name, uh, and now I can't remember the name. Darn it. But the one who is guarding Dragonstone in, in Stannis' stead, what was his name? He was a oh. storm also, was he not?
1: Yeah, we got to look him up. Yeah, he was a storm.
0: Not, he, I mean, he could have been anybody's bastard, but I was just wondering if there's some correlation there.
1: True. Well, how about this? Do you guys believe the story that Arane Waters tells about Sir Loras? And I have to be honest, on first read and even second read, I guess I believe Arane Waters and I believe that this terrible thing has happened to Loras, but in some ways, it really does seem very similar to how Cersei heard uh, the story about Davos's head on a pike up in White Harbor. You know, it was really easy for somebody to say that, but it turned out he wasn't dead.
2: Right. Right.
0: It seems like Loras is so much more important to Cersei's day-to-day existence, though, that it seems like this would be harder to... It just seems like more people would be paying more attention. There would be more people able to report the story. And there's a thing here that Marjorie is going... Is is this true that she's going to send uh, their personal maester... So um I, I, Bubba I don't at this point I don't know how um actually horrific Lawrence's injuries are. I'm pretty sure that he's injured. I, I, I don't I can't foresee Orain coming back with a story where he wasn't hurt. I just don't know if it's to the degree that uh Waters told it. Is that fair enough to say?
1: that's fair enough to say. I I once again on first read I, I believed it a hundred percent, but there's a part of me that certainly wonders is this just a load of bull that they wanted to mm. say this because they wanted those ships to go fight uh the person Cersei now knows is someone called Uren Crow's eye. Mm
0: hmm. Good question. It's a very good question. Now Bobby, you said you didn't like um the way that this kind of pointed to the way we've seen Cersei act in the past and the way she's acting now. But I, I want to ask the same question to you, Mike. Um, how how do you, in light of this prophecy, how do you stand with some of Cersei's actions? Now, for me, obviously she's still devious, she's still crazy. Um, but I personally found a little bit of empathy for her in the fact that since... Uh, the prophecy about Malara came true that, uh, and that of her and Robert's marriage and, and their children seemingly um, that she is protecting uh, herself and her children uh, to these extremes with Asanza or Marjorie um, and not necessarily justifiably so, but at least it gives me a hint of the motivation behind it. What, how do you feel?
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean,
0: it gives. It definitely helps provide a little bit of context to the ways in which Cersei has been trapped and or fated, you know, to be who she is because she is, you know, obviously held in place by certain conventions. She's held in place by her extremely powerful father, you know, and then she's kind of got this stuff going on in the background, which I assume is not anything she ever told Tywin about. You know, I don't think, he didn't really seem like the kind of guy you could go and say, like, oh, Maggie the Frog said bad things were going to (laughs) happen, and he would take you seriously, you know. So I think there was a little bit of, um, I don't know if empathy is too big of a word, but a little bit more context or understanding uh, because of the story. Fair enough. And uh, what else we got on this chapter, guys?
1: Well, I just want to jump into some of this stuff. So let's go back to our... Favorite troublemaker Tana Merriweather. To me, it felt mm-hmm. like on the second read that Tana was trying to lead Cersei into a trap, where she's talking about the place with the conjurer in the cellar, who could uh, change your sex. And then you've got pyromancers who want dragon eggs. And I just wrote to myself, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Plus, mm-hmm. Marjorie really has her fingers on Tommen. You know, T- she Marjorie really. The fact that Tommen said, you know, I'm king, not you. Shows that Marjorie has been working on her.
0: Very true, very true. Which, in light of this prophecy, again, you know, Marjorie's family was involved in taking Joffrey away. Marjorie's dug her fingers into Tommen. Um, It's uh, you know, Cersei's paranoia can do nothing but build from here. Uh, Did you have any thoughts about uh, anything that Bubba said, Mike? Uh, I just, this is just not going to end well for (laughs) Cersei. I just don't see, I just, these chapters to me are feeling more and more and more like the, like say 85 minute mark in Scarface, you know, where he's just losing it. Like he's just losing all sense of rationality or, you know, any ability to actually deal with or try to dial down his situation. Um, And, you know, it's just the more and more convinced she gets, of how well everything is going to go for her, the less I believe it. Yeah. Book now, Bubba. Uh, at the end of this chapter, she asks Kyburn, "You know, is there a way to forestall prophecies or what have you?" And uh, Qyburn, it seems to think that there is. So, I mean, Cersei's on the plotting thing. That can't be good. Uh, do we fear for Marjorie right now?
1: Uh, I think Marjorie should fear for Marjorie for sure. And Marjorie. Margaery- for once in the whole book series, kind of dro- let her uh, guard drop when Cersei was having so much delight telling Marjorie about what had happened to Loras. Marjorie finally, for once, you know, let her little facade drop and was like, "Screw you! I know why you're saying this to me," and that's not good for Marjorie. I would say, like Mike, Cersei though herself is kind of opening herself up to a self-fulfilling prophecy, so she's got to be very, very careful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What else we got on this chapter, guys? I
1: well, would just like to say that I really hope that uh,
0: that they introduce these multicolored beards to the television show. <laughs> not going to happen. I want a purple and green fourth
1: Goatee. No, not going to happen. No way.
0: They would have done it on Dario if they were going to do it. That's what I think. What do you think? <sighs>
1: That's a good point. Yeah, I think somehow... The TV show is afraid of a fantasy, and, you know, colored beards and kind of craziness is maybe high fantasy, and so they're afraid to do it. I would say one of my final notes, and I don't want to comment too much on it because I think we're going to learn more as we go, is to pay attention to what Maggie the Frog was. It's theoretically, she came from the east, from across the narrow sea in Essos, but she got some Westerosi husband on her. And so uh, as we go through this, she'll suddenly be able to follow her family. And it suddenly becomes very interesting.
0: I agree. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: um, anything else? Uh, just one other note about the writing and the language uh, in this chapter. There's a part where, you know, she says titles are cheaper than dirt. Uh, and that was the first time, I mean, I'm, thirty eight, I've been hearing cheaper than dirt my whole life. That was the first time that I heard that as that I heard the word dirt as land, being something that is actually valuable. As in, you know, titles are cheaper than land. It's easier to call somebody Lord whatever than to actually find him a place to rule. I just thought that was really interesting. You know, it's always cool when something you've been hearing your whole life you hear in a different way. Uh, and it just had never occurred to me that that could possibly mean something other than, you know, cheaper than basically worthless. So thanks to Railroad for flipping that coin <laughs> to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Bubba, you were going to say something?
1: Oh, no, I just, uh, yeah, this is not going to end well. That's all I'm going to say.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and
0: I, You know what? You brought up that point that maybe Tano was trying to, to trap Cersei or at very least distractor. I found that very interesting too. That's a great point. Um do you think that there was actually some kind of plan cooked up at that point or was it a distraction for something else that didn't get to happen?
2: Oh,
1: we shall have to see.
0: Dun dun dun. Oop, I did it. Sorry, guys. <sighs> Last call for Cersei.
1: No, let's roll. All
0: right. Brienne seven. Brian, Sir sorry, as uh, our narrator likes to say, Brian, Sir Hile, Podrick, and Maribold come across numerous hung bodies. Ooh, just imagine that. Who Sir Hile suspects was those who raided salt pans? Maribold tells a history story as it relates to an inn that they hope to stay at that evening. Brian salt, salt, recalls salt pans as they arrive at the inn. Brienne mistakes a smith there for Renly. It turns out it's Arya's old friend, Gendry. Before dinner, Brienne tells Podrick that they are separating from Maribold and Sir Hyle the next morning. But at dinner, Sir Hyle proposes a mutually beneficial marriage with Brienne, which she refuses. After dinner, Brienne puts it together that Gendry is Robert's bastard. But other riders arrive, one wearing the hound's helm. She bests the hound's impersonator, but then is attacked by none other than Biter. And with no way to recover, Brienne finds herself being eaten by Biter before a darkness overtakes her. (sighs) Bubba, this is your favorite chapter. Let's let's hear all two of your notes. Oh, (laughs)
1: God. Skip (laughs) ahead.
0: Well, that's one note. Where's the other one?
1: Okay, all right. Well, all let right. right, I'm going to go deep into this stuff. How about, you know what, before I go deep into this, let's just give a shout-out to our boy Gendry. Gendry, we last saw him, if I understand correctly, we last saw him with the Brotherhood Without Banners. And now he's set up at the end of the crossroads. And so how you you aren't really given a simple picture as to how he ended up there. And so uh, the Brotherhood Without Banners, we know now – is working with our boy, Lady Stoneheart, or excuse me, our girl, Lady Stoneheart. And so a lot of questions still to be answered about what's going on at this orphanage inn, and uh, we'll have to see.
0: Very interesting for a Brienne chapter. Mike, what you got? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Brienne is boring, but nobody deserves the biter.
2: God's sure. sake. I mean, a biter, give much. him some love. <laughs>
0: Uh, I was just, uh, you know, I'm really happy to see Gundry again, and I'm having, you know, I'm happy to see somebody make that connection to Robert so plainly. You know, hopefully that's the start of a trend. Um, I've always liked his character, and you know, the kind of possibilities within that character. uh, The only other thing that makes me worried is that now Melisandre is going to put leeches on him.
2: Hmm. Well, about (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, what, uh, the, the last line, Biter's tongue seemed like a sword. I mean, come on, it was a sword. Somebody was killing Biter, right? Sticking oh, how
1: dare you say that? You're trying to depress me, not my boy well, Biter. <laughs>
0: well, let me depress you some more. It's a good thing Brienne was wearing armor, because otherwise Biter wouldn't have been biting on her face, right? Oh. <laughs> Based hey. on based on what we heard in salt pans, um, yeah, yeah, and she was hearing steel on steel. So, is this Brianne saying goodbye to us? Or did we lucky. skip it? Did we skip ahead and and uh, find anything that might tell us to the
1: contrary? Well, there are hands. Like Gendry, Gendry thought they were friends coming. Huh? I just said like future chapter titles as as
0: for hints, but that's all I got. Yeah, Um, you could do that. You could definitely do that one way or the other. But I'm sorry, what did you say, Bubba?
1: Oh, I was just gonna say that our boy Gendry he believes that friends are coming, so not that not these hideous monsters who did the things they did in salt pans. So you would assume that's what. That's what came.
0: That's what came. Right on.
1: Insult our girl, Brienne. Mm -hmm. Or Brianne.
0: Brianne. What else we got on this chapter, guys? (laughs) Well, who are these guys? Because, okay, so the buyer is rolling with Houghton and those guys, right? So who are they working for? Are they independent contractors? Or I've kind of
1: lost their trajectory a little bit.
0: Well, Houghton never made it out of uh heron Hall, right, Bubba?
1: If I understand this correctly, it gets a bit crazy. That wasn't theoretically Houte wearing the hounds helm in the no, I story.
0: took it to be B Rorsch is who I took it to be right,
1: that's who I took it to be too
0: but this is um, this is the same group of people, right Yes, they are people that were running with Vargo Houghton, yeah so now, so who are they what is are they? I like I don't know independent contractors is the only way I can think of to say it, but that's not really correct. But I mean, who are are they like Roose's? I don't know. I
1: don't I don't really understand who they're working for.
0: I would imagine they're just being outlaws. What do you think, Bob? Okay,
1: that's the impression I got. That now that the war's over, they kind of have nothing to do, and so they just decided, screw it, we'll pillage this ravaged world and do the terrible things like they did in in Salt Pants.
0: Yeah, and Royce will put you in this hound's home, and then it'll get blamed on somebody else. Right. Yeah.
1: But theoretically, many of the people who did terrible things in salt pans have been killed by the Brotherhood Without Banners, and there have been pieces of salt put in their mouth.
2: Mm.
0: Why salt?
1: You know, you destroy salt, salt pans, pans you, gotta, you you got to eat salt.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm getting paid back. Yeah. I guess that is the case.
1: So is there any reason
0: to think the Brotherhood Without Banners would be taking on orphan children?
1: Well, I think they would. They were with Gendry. I would think they needed a place to put them. And so they just put them in this old place where, you know, innocent sweet Marsha Heddle. Marsha Heddle uh, was in Game of Thrones and has been mentioned all these times. Uh, And she's apparently been killed, one of the countless victims of the innocent, of the small folk in this war. You know when these kings play their Game of Thrones, as it so blatantly says.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, even the, uh, I guess the eldest daughter Jane, she's not around anymore. Jane Heddle. I'm, I'm assuming it's Jane Heddle.
1: Yeah, I think I think
0: that. Yeah. So it leaves it up to this little Wyla or Willa, whatever her name is. <sighs> You know, you leave it in, it, it just kind of speaks to the Brotherhood Without Banners, though, doesn't it? Leave a 10-year-old in charge.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but maybe they'll help Brienne out.
1: Probably not.
0: <laughs> uh, maybe they'll just say, hey, she looks better now. Oh, oh, bad, <laughs> bad. bad, bad. All right. Uh, no, that was bad. Um, any chance Sir Hyle bought it? Was he one of them out there dinging?
1: I hope not. I know Sir Hyle is not, as I always say, it's tough for me to kind of be a fan of this guy who's so unenlightened and so kind of crude in so many ways. But in some ways, I I, I don't think Sir Hyle is truly a jerk. He's, you know, he's trying to make, uh, he must like Brienne, I think. Or at oh, least like probably. the idea of being married to her and, and her, you know, and having Tarth.
0: Worst proposal ever? <laughs>
1: Have you ever watched The Bachelor? It wasn't the worst ever.
0: Okay. <laughs> I don't watch The Bachelor, so yeah, I can't say to that. Uh, perhaps it was the worst – or not the worst proposal ever. But uh, the worst proposal I've read in this book, even even, you know – Proposals by other people have been better. Uh, under duress, have been better than that one. That was that was kind of like uh, I got this, you got that. We'll put this together. I mean, do people actually? I guess people back then, uh, or in medieval times, actually did get married for those reasons. Usually, it was the dad's doing all that talking, right?
1: You know what, uh, pile hunt, give him some love. You're always so tough on, on Jorah in in his love for Daenerys, and now you're probably going to be tough on this guy. Let love into your heart, Matt. I
2: can't, I can't do
0: it. But I will say this. I will say this. Uh, I, will say this. Um, I When when I read that line where she said that they were ditching Sir Heil and Mary Bolt, I did think that was a bad idea. How about that? That's the best oh. endorsement of Sir Heil Hunt I can give right now.
1: That's pretty good.
0: What else you got, Mike?
1: Uh, I like Mary Bolt.
0: I, I like the idea of him cooking for all the kids. I just thought that was a really nice moment. Hopefully he didn't get his head cut off in this ensuing battle. Mm, Good point. Good point. Hope he's all right. Hope he's all right. Um, Hope Gendry's all right. Hope they're all all right. Nobody concurs. Okay.
2: (laughs) Who
1: cares? (laughs) Start weeding these characters, George.
0: (laughs) Time to whittle the storylines down. Anything else?
1: All right, well, let's go to it. This is going to be a deep dive, but an interesting little story here within this chapter about something that may have nothing to do with any of the people or characters within this chapter. So let's go through, you know, why do you think we learned this big, long history of the end of the crossroads, anybody? Okay, nobody has any reason. I think George just wants to fill out his pages. <laughs> And so, well, one of the things that I would argue is maybe he's trying to give us a subtle little sign in that the inn here, the innkeeper made this kind of sign for the front of his inn, which was this big black dragon outside of his inn. But Mm -hmm. then suddenly, after the black fires were all, uh, you know, the dying king legitimized all his bastards, it was suddenly like, oh, wait a minute, and the bastards took the symbol of what? They took the symbol of a black dragon to symbolize the black fires and so the innkeeper was like okay boy I'm in the crown lands I'm in here with people who support the kingdom and so I've got to get rid of this so what did he do he cut down this little uh, you know this ironwork or this (coughs) little sign he had out front of a black dragon and he threw it in the river and what ended up happening it rusted and it came out as a red dragon so he had this black dragon, the symbol of the oh. of the black fires. Then he threw it in the river, and it came out of the river as a red dragon, the symbol of actual house Targaryen. And so what maybe could that symbolically be telling us, Matt?
0: I believe that maybe George might be just doing a little bit of sidestepping here to say that uh there's a certain Aegon Targaryen, Mm -hmm. who's associated with the Golden Company, who are all descendants of the Fire Rebellion. Mm -hmm. So that maybe Aegon, if he has any Targaryen blood in him at all, would be of of the bastard kind, the Fire kind. And suddenly, after a trip on the river, he has emerged as... A red
1: dragon, an actual Targaryen. Yes, that is what many people read this little symbolism, and they say, is... This George trying to tell us that Aegon is fake Aegon, A.K.A. Fagon, and that he is a Blackfire kid. That's why it would explain why he would have the silver white hair of the Targaryens. But that he got thrown on this river, in this case, at the river in Essos, the Rhoyne, and now he's come out of that experience uh, pretending to be or assuming to be a Red Dragon when he, of Targaryen when he's actually a Black Dragon of Targaryen. That is one of the se- thoughts that people who read these books way too many times have thought.
0: (laughs) I like it, Bubba. I think that's brilliant. Um, And uh, I didn't get it until you started telling the story, and then it hit me. Uh, So very good. Way to describe it so that it hit me right in the face. That is excellent, sir. Mike, any thoughts on that?
2: I mean, it seems... I don't know.
0: That seems... Pretty speculative, but...
1: It is so subtle if it's true. You're right. It is... Yeah, Wait, we're supposed to pick this up from the most ridiculous subtle clues ever? Give me a break. But if it is yeah. true, it's a very interesting way to do it.
0: That's right. The way you tell the story makes it sound compelling. Makes it sound pretty good. But I don't... Who picked that... How is that even possible to read that you.
1: Well, people were trying to figure out why did Martin bother to put this story, the story about the hit and the crossroads, in the book to begin with.
0: And well, that's, that's what the thing. I mean, came up with. that's the main. Why else would it be there? Like I'm, I'm sitting here banging my head trying to figure out now why else would it be there. Uh, and it may just be that I'm being overwhelmed by that as an answer, but I don't have another good reason. I can't think of any other reason, uh, other uh, myself. Um, and, and if it's I, true,
1: it's kind of a fun thing.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see. But it, it, you know, we've 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 talked already in this podcast alone, and in prior podcasts. Do we believe if Aegon is the real Aegon? Um, that seems very unlikely. And, and this story, in its own way, kind of uh, it, as as you said, uh, Bubba, it kind of metaphorically tells us what maybe our suspicions are telling us also, if you want to look at it that way. Excellent find, sir. Well, what would have had to have taken place for it not to be real Aegon? Or for it not to be fake Aegon? For it to be a real Aegon? What would have had to have taken place? He would have had to have been gotten out beforehand. <clears throat> he would have had to have been sent off somewhere. They would have had to have had a replacement brought in. Right. Mm-hmm. That a replacement
1: child brought in. Varys had uh, really been hiding this and and you wonder why Varys wouldn't have if this is Varys doing and it's cl- he's claiming he did it, you know Varys for some reason didn't decide to reveal the truth to a single human being that hey we switched Aegon and Aegon the rightful heir is alive so, huh it it's it's puzzling that's for sure.
0: And you would have had to have found a child that had the same physical characteristics right,
2: mm-hmm. so it
0: couldn't be just any random kid from. The uh, from flea bottom you know well, you'd have possibly, to have some...
1: possibly you know that Aegon was ridiculously young so maybe you could have just found some relatively bald baby knowing that t- if, t- if, you, if you thought this far in advance you would know that Tywin Lannister was kind of going to betray the Mad King so I don't know well
0: and who opened the gate
1: <laughs> well it was Pycelle who opened the gate right
0: was it Pycelle who opened the gate Mm, it was. He did for the Lannisters. That's right. I'm sorry. I thought it was very
1: it, It's definitely complex. That's for
2: sure. Yeah.
0: Very interesting. I love it, Baba. You found the one true shining light moment in this chapter. that Other than the fact that, thank goodness, Brienne was wearing armor. Anything else, guys?
1: Nope. i it, bro.
0: All right, it's on to Jamie. Jamie six Jamie treats with Blackfish Tully unsuccessfully. With little choice left to him, he calls a war council. The council doesn't go much better, but they resolve to attack River Run the next day. He next goes to the gallows and meets with Ryman Frey, giving Frey's son Edwin command instead before taking Edmure Tully back with him. He then dictates terms to Edmure, saying that if Edmure surrenders River Run, he and his family will live, and leaves Edmure with a singer playing the Reigns of Castamere to make an obvious choice. The shortest synopsis in history. Um, there's a, and there's a lot you know, of detail I could have put in, but why do that? What you got, Mike? Uh, mostly I just need a theme song that warns my enemies of their imminent demise.
2: <laughs>
0: the main thing I got from this chapter. <laughs>
2: uh, you know, uh, it's,
0: I, I mean, first of all, everybody just wants to be Tyler. That's weird. Uh, but, you know, his, I, I Jamie's got the, Jamie seems kind of, um, I don't know, put upon in this chapter, like kind of put out. I guess, in a in a way that I haven't really seen him before. And I thought that was interesting that he makes the reference to Tywin, you know, in the chapter where he's just kind of, like, annoyed. He goes and talks to Brendan and, you know, Blackfish is a pain in the nuts and then he comes back and has this war council and everybody's just a pain in his ass, you know, and, and it seems like things kind of move best when he does them on his own. So I was really glad to see him put the phrase in their place. That That made me very happy. Yeah. Now, I will say this: um, I thought and maybe I, I just read it differently than you might, but I thought that everything Jamie tried to do and the resolution that he came to was absolutely brilliant and very tywin like um, but that's just the way the way I thought it i thought I thought he played the, the part of Tywin brilliantly in this chapter. Uh, we'll have to see how it all pans out, I suppose, but um, I think he set all the pieces in play in the, in the right way. He got rid of uh, some annoyances. He, uh, he has a play to make to, uh, to Blackfish, because Blackfish, basically, if Bedmir if goes in there, he is the Lord of Riverrun, and, and Blackfish pretty much has to either convince him not to go through with this or to um, obey him. So it's going to depend on it's going to depend on Edmure, I suppose, more than anything. But it seems to me the end of the chapter uh, makes me think that that Edmure's not going to be uh, he's not going to be uncooperative with Jamie. Bubba, what do you got?
1: Well, I liked. Uh, I don't think it sets us up for great notes, but I loved the fact that Blackfish. I love Blackfish. I love that he doesn't take any of Jamie's crap. Now, theoretically, we've been getting these chapters from Jamie's POV, and we know that. You know, J- Jamie could be a man of his word, but I, I love that the Blackfish is not in his head, and so the Blackfish is acting like anybody would act. He's like, "This is a load of crap," and I loved it. I loved him putting Jamie in his place, and I loved uh, you know him calling Jamie out when Jamie was bluffing about, "Ah, we'll just starve you out." And he's like, "No, you the you guys will be the one that'll starve," and so I, I really liked that.
0: Interesting. Yeah, uh, I did too. Um, what uh, what else we got on this chapter?
1: Well, my last note is a bit of uh, another quiz, another question. I'll give you guys if you can do the math. So, at the very end of this chapter, Edmire is like, "No, no, not you." He's not saying, "Oh no, don't play the reins of Castamere." He's saying, "Oh no, not you" to that particular singer. Who is Edmire? Talk. What is Edmire referring to here? And what does that imply on this whole storyline going forward? Anybody?
0: I thought that, because I initially took it as he was somebody who was left over from the Red Wedding or somebody who had been at the Red Wedding because they were talking to, uh, you know, because he's saying, you know, where were you when all this was going down? And, oh, I was upstairs, you know, and I didn't know anything about it.
1: Right, they Um, were playing violins outside his uh, wedding night with Rosalind, So he's saying he had no idea. And he's saying that yeah. Rosalind wasn't involved. She was crying.
0: And I had taken, and so I had interpreted that last moment as him being someone from the Red Wedding, who they kind of imported to remind him, you know, we know what you did.
1: Okay, well, there is another character we know, another singer that has had a duff up with Edmure. Uh, And Matt, can In you figure know... out who this is? Or do you know well, who it is?
0: I think that I do know who this is. Uh, I, 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 and and simply by process of elimination, because somebody that Edmure recognizes,
2: exactly and they're in the right.
0: Riverlands.
2: Exactly and, right. And
0: uh, how many singers have we met in the Riverlands that Edmure might know? I, is it Tom Seven Strings, perchance?
1: That's exactly right. Way back in the last book, A Storm of Swords, when Arya was hanging with the brothers. Brotherhood Without Banners, she ran into this guy named Tom 07strings, or Tom 7strings, who ran afoul of Edmure Tully because he stole the girl that Edmure was supposed to you know, be with, and, he, and Tom 07strings took her virginity. And then Tom wrote a song about Edmure being unable to perform because he had drank too much wine and had a floppy fish, mm-hmm. which led to Edmure's hatred of music. So there's the thought people have when they read this: is Edmir saying no, not you? Because it's oh, you're that terrible singer who mocked me and stole my woman. But then, of course, what does that imply? If let's say this again: if this singer is Tom O'Seven Strings, who, as we know, was a big part—or for lack of a better word—a big kind of guy in the Brotherhood without Banners. What does it mean if a guy with a Brotherhood without banners has infiltrated and hidden in the Lannister slash Frey uh you know army? And what yes. does it mean? Uh oh
0: And remember Jamie did take him from a fray from a fray camp, right? Yep. Uh so uh would that mean that the Brotherhood without banners um and people d- did we I'm trying to remember now. When uh, when Arya had her wolf dream, she saw I don't know if she saw Tom O7 strings though. I know she saw Lemon Cloak and saw we Lemon saw,
1: Cloak. You're talking we about the wolf dream she had in Storm of Swords.
0: Right. So was Tom O7 strings still with Lemon Cloak's group at that time? I guess he would have been. Uh was he with was was he with Lady Stoneheart in the epilogue of Storm of Swords. I can't remember.
1: I kind of think he was. I'll try to do a real quick search to confirm that. But if he was, does this mean that our friends, the Brotherhood Without Banners, are infiltrating the enemy? And whoo who, who, what could that mean?
0: Maybe we'll get some payback on some praise. Yeah.
1: <laughs> mm. you payback on a lot of people, I would say.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's a great point, Bubba. Um, Here's the other thing, though, Uh, just one little point that I want to bring up, is that um, Jamie says, send word to Lord Walder, the king requires all his prisoners. Yep. So who does Walder still hold? Does he still perhaps hold the great umber? We haven't heard of the umber's complete demise yet, right?
1: No, we have. Remember, we have two umbers, theoretically one on Team Stannis and one on Team Bolton. But we heard the great John was being held prisoner at the twins. So, yes, there are a lot of moving pieces implied in this chapter. And, uh-oh, uh-oh, if the Freys don't have any more of their valuable hostages, what could that really mean?
0: Sweet revenge. People don't
1: like them. As we found out, even their some of the newfound allies had family members and friends killed at the Red Wedding, and they're not too happy about it.
0: Absolutely. Uh, uh, it it kind of makes you salivate just a little bit, doesn't it? Makes you gives you hope. Gives you just what a kind little of bit hope
1: of, are you implying here, Matt?
0: Hope that the Brotherhood Without Banners will just eliminate the phrase Whoa. Two, by, two by two.
1: Well, they, they got a lot of phrase out there, but yeah, this is sure trouble, trouble, trouble. You know, easy does not wear the crown in <laughs> the phrase if they're now the... The the leaders in the Riverlands they are in deep dew.
0: Mm, there's also those
1: phrases like
0: the Lannister sends their regards, so it could be equally bad for that Lannister camp, could it not?
1: That's exactly
2: true as well.
0: Oh, that's not so good because I like Jamie. kind of like him, kind of like him. So I don't know. What else? Gotta we got to live chapter? long enough
2: to choke Cersei. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're all salivating at the prospects of sweet revenge yes we are different kinds but yes anything else on this chapter guys well I I I, I didn't think about this until after I had said it out loud but the the people who were playing at the Red Wedding were not playing very good because they weren't players they were uh, fighters right
2: Right. so that
0: that was the whole thing was they couldn't play very well because they were used to holding weapons not instruments. So that would actually make my whole Red Wedding theory completely null because presumably this guy can actually play a song. It's so much better, too, to think of the Brotherhood without banners there than to go backwards to Red Wedding. You know,
1: it's much better to think of it that way. I like that better.
0: Me, too. I like it. What else we got?
1: Well, we see that, you know, I talk about how this bo- these books have these older female characters. And we see uh, Jamie's aunt again, still being a boss. I love her. insulting mm-hmm. her fray husband.
2: Excellent. Mike?
1: Yeah, they just seem to be really ignoring him and altogether, right?
0: I mean, yeah. they even say, like, everybody's seen your stupid piece of paper, dude.
2: You know, <laughs> keep it in your sleeve. I like it. He put just... that... Oh, go God. ahead, Mike.
0: Uh, I was going to say I like that he put Edwin in charge. I'm not sure, exactly sure why I like that, but um, just uh, in place of of, of Ryman Frey, I, I just feel like uh... now Emmon is the one that is married to Jenna, right? Right. And Ryman is just the drunk, right? Oh yeah. With the with the queen of whores, so many queens. Do we really need that many queens? <laughs> See, I don't think you necessarily like Edwin. I think you just don't like Ryman. At least that's Maybe my that's, experience yeah. of it. You know, it's like, uh, I just don't like anybody but this guy.
1: Yeah, Edwin's that's, kind of just a just a buffoon.
0: Yeah, that's true, too. Okay,
1: well, uh, lesser of two evils, perhaps,
0: if right. somebody's <laughs> got to get Jamie's back, you know. Perhaps that would be the case, rather than just a drunk who wants to mess around with the queen of horse. Anything else?
1: Well, my final point is it's a bit shocking that the Blackfish seems to be a bit anti-John Snow, huh?
0: That is an interesting point. Um and but he's coming of, he at it of, from
1: Catelyn's perspective.
0: He is coming at it from Catelyn's perspective, but he's, he does say kind of in the present, are they, uh, you know, that neither, you know, that they both seem to have lived up to kind of Catelyn's mistrust. And I, I wonder... Here's, what I, here's where, I, where I'm trying to place it in context. Um, now, Rob didn't give his decree about John being his heir until after they'd left Riverrun, correct? Correct. Okay, but you would think that So the that Blackfish Ward, hadn't heard that. So the Blackfish hadn't heard... But you would think that word would have come back somehow to the Blackfish about that, one way or the other.
1: Possibly. I'm pretty sure that all of, all of Rob's people he told he set north.
0: Okay, no, so no. He, he, there wasn't anyone else in the room that could have delivered the news, or he wouldn't have delivered the news. I guess we would have read that he delivered the news to the Blackfish about that. Um, okay, never mind. Because uh, I was just thinking that it might, it might be a great disappointment to the Blackfish that John decided to stay at the wall instead of, you know, because he's got to figure that by now. Surely word has gotten to Jon Snow that he's supposed to be the heir. That's what I was thinking. But perhaps that's uh, out of line. Who knows? What do you think? Why do you think he's upset with Jon?
1: I think he, he trusts his, his niece Catelyn's perspective, and Catelyn, as everybody knows, was anti Jon Snow,
0: as well as Theon. And I think because both of them gave, um, they both drew attention away uh, from her husband. To his legitimate children with her, I think that's the big, True. the big thing. Because uh, even even Theon being a ward, uh, Ned had to pay some attention to him. So, yeah, Catelyn was uh, quite the jelly. She's quite jealous about his <laughs> children.
2: Well, but that's throw that's... her a bone,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man. You know, I'm I'm cheering for her now. She's running around all dead and everything, cutting people up left and right, hanging them, putting salt in their in their mouths. That's all great. I think it's her anyway. All right. Anything else? Oh, what about the fact that, you know, we've talked about Steve's theory, but the, the Blackfish, I don't know if he – he says uh, – I guess he says that, the, that Rob charged him with Jane's safety. Does that imply to you that Jane's there?
1: It does, even though our, uh, our reader, or our listener, excuse me, believes that she might be somewhere else. And I have to be honest, I messed this up a bit. I think it's the next uh, Jamie chapter where I can talk about some of this stuff, not this one, Apologies.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree. But as far as we know right now, Steve's wrong.
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: We'll just have to wait and see, of course, you know, if the blackfish doesn't believe anything that Jamie's saying to him, why should he tell Jamie anything true?
2: exactly right.
0: so, there's that um something else to think about um, anything else, guys?
1: No, short and sweet, and to the point
0: All right. Mike
1: uh no, I like this,
0: and i'm just I'm ready to see Jamie uh get back into into battle mode, but it was good to see him, you know, be uh, plotting and planning and not just kind of uh, sword fighting in this one. Yeah, well, you know what? To be honest, I I prefer that Jamie does this kind of thing and just kind of hangs back because I don't think he's still much of a fighter, by the way. Illum Payne's beaten him up in the previous chapters. I don't want him to fight. I think his character has just gotten a lot more layers to it since he got his hand cut off. You know, I mean, I think that that's kind of forced him to be a more thoughtful, plotting kind of person. And I think it's actually made his character a lot more interesting, not to mention more likable, because he's not just randomly cutting people up. I agree. Absolutely agree. Bella, how about you give us a ranking of these chapters in the order that you preferred them?
1: Ooh, it is difficult. I think a lot of this was a skip ahead for me. I am going to go Cat of the Canals 1. Uh, Jamie, I didn't have many notes on it, but it was direct and to the point. I Like I said, I love Blackfish. That's going to be my number 2. I am going to go Samuel number 3, R.I.P. Maester Aemon. Brienne, number 4. And then just because I didn't like Martin introducing this kind of prophecy motivation so late into the story, even though it was a good chapter, just for that one point, I'm going to rate Cersei last. That's my ranking.
0: Excellent. I'm going to go next this time, and, uh, boy, I'm sure different than you. Um, I'm going to go Samwell1 because of all the great Eamon stuff in there that we get to talk about, um, and the fact that Sam gets some. Thank you very much. About time. Rest in peace, Maester Eamon. Sorry to see him go. Um, I'm going to go Cat, in the Canals, Cat of the Canals 2. I love Aria chapters in general, even though you know I worry for her. Um, But uh, nice reveal at the end, Uh, nice kill in the middle that wasn't a kill until she told somebody. Um, Thought that was all great. I'm going to go Cersei 3 because unlike Bubba, I did like um, the reveal of the prophecy, giving some kind of light into Cersei's uh, whole manic thing, her whole crazy, crazy thing. Even though it doesn't justify it, um, I like there to be a reason, and, and that's as good a reason as any. I went Jamie 4 because uh, he's getting his stride back, uh, it seems to me. He's he's kind of taking charge again, and I really like that. Uh, He's not just getting beat up by ill and pain or or laughed at um, or spit in a river about, uh, although that does happen in this chapter. Um, And then uh, Brienne last, and all of these chapters, I think this is the best read, (laughs) unlike Bubba. I think this is the best read we've had. Uh, in terms of all of the chapters together. So all of these chapters are just minute points apart, but Brienne gets last, the Gendry meeting, and it even came close to Jamie because of this brilliant point that Bubba had about the dragon sign. Uh, How about you, Mike? How would you rate the chapters? Uh, I think I would go uh, Cat of the Canals first. Yeah. I think I would go
2: probably Cersei 2.
0: Um, I like the, you know, I I don't, the prophecy didn't bother me a bit. I thought it, it didn't really provide anything new in a sense of like, oh, I need to reconsider Cersei or reconsider what her thoughts and plans are. It more just, I felt like provided, um, a little extra layer to what we already kind of knew of her. Um, I would go, uh, I think Brienne next, um, because, you know there's some action there and the reintroduction of Gendry uh and also just something happened to actually give Brianne that sour attitude she's got all the time um, I think I would go Jamie next and Sam last uh i you know like you said, Matt, I think these were all i you know I enjoyed all of the chapters, but and you know the Sam chapter. It was nice, the stuff, you know, the kind of bits about Eamon in the beginning, but ultimately I felt like that chapter moved us significantly less than the rest of the chapters. Um, It's nice to see Sam lose his virginity, but I don't think it's actually going to be consequential. Uh,
2: So I would place Sam last.
0: Fair enough, and feedback for this week is next. Okay, this email from Tessa. He says, Matt, I have bad news for you. Last week you cited the next installment of my story as a crack of dragons when the title was actually a crack of krakens. This means that you now have one tiny mistake to weigh against Bubba's one tiny mistake and therefore no longer hold the high ground from which to tease him about.
2: Ah. yeah. <laughs> Amen. Now, now,
0: now, wait a minute. I no, didn't no. compare myself to Bubba. I compared Bubba to Joffrey, which is impossible to do. Anyway, um, no one can compare with Joffrey, but I just want to make that point. Um, But uh, Bubba has always been more right than me and always always shall be because he is in service of the good King Joffrey. Um, She goes on to say, You came to the conclusion that it was dumb of Robert to leave Balon in charge of the Iron Islands, but I disagree. Look what happened when they executed Ned. The entire north cracked the proverbial whip, rose up, and everything went to hell. With Balon willing to bend the knee, the Iron Islanders were robbed of the same kind of righteous rage and or power vacuum. Keeping Balon in power took the wind out of their sails, yes, pun intended, and reduced the Iron Islands to a prickly little principality with an heir who was being raised in a culture friendly to the crown. I reckon it was pretty smart. I reckon it was a pretty smart way to ensure an end to the rebellion, and thus it certainly beats wasting resources trying to kill all the uncles who would have been extra mad at the execution of their brother, whom they all seem to respect. You were also saying that you were having trouble reconciling Lena's Cersei with George's Cersei. I've always had the same problem. Lena's Cersei is much more nuanced and interesting to watch whereas George's Cersei is so boringly juvenile and one-dimensional crazy that it can get hard to read her POV at times. My thoughts are that thinking of the two as separate entities in parallel stories is a good practice for when the show finally does go into uncharted territory. I reckon that Lena Cersei will descend into madness next season, and it's going to be an awful but amazing character development to watch. I'll be a gr- it'll be a great improvement on the book's where well, you finally get Cersei's POV that simply confirms that the character that you already thought was insane actually is just insane. All right, any thoughts on those thoughts?
1: She called you out, Matt. So I've she, been that's called out. The greatest out. we've ever had.
0: I've been called out. Uh, that That is true. Um, so, uh, now see, the, the thing is, is that uh, it, I I don't know what to say about the Cersei thing because I've just been talking about how I like the prophecy. Or maybe I'm just trying to look for Lena's Cersei and George's Cersei and I should just give up. What do you think, guys? Should I just give up? <laughs> I mean, uh, this is, you know, the difference between books and television. You know, I mean, sometimes that's, actors are a pain in the butt, but, you know, they're useful for something. And, I mean, I think that her insanity, there's a good chance that Lena will be able to play that, you know, in a really exciting, like, a way that makes it as good on television as it is in the books. Now, given what she says here, Mike, um, is it easier to believe now that Lena's never read the books? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's an interesting question that I've been kind of going back and forth about. Um, but the, I have to say, you know, her point that, that Cersei, the character in the books doesn't really evolve is I think a pretty good one. You know, I mean, I think that part, that might be kind of part of what helps her be able to pull it off without reading the books is that the character is not really changing. She's pretty much the same person from the very beginning, just in different circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Now, Bubba, you're going to take special interest in this. All right. Uh, Tessa goes on to say, I was working on my Jojen Mira connection theory, I swear, but then happenstance, I glanced into my fires and a new chapter unfolded before me. It's longer, I fear, but of vital importance. I think Mm. this is something from one of those uh, uh, actual uh, uh, books that you own as opposed to the books that the rest of us own. It was revealed to me as follows. The Kindly Man. Yep. the kindly man watched as cat of the canals again disappeared silently into the misty alleyways of Braavos. So many secrets so many lies he thought sadly there is only one who knows how to make things right. He stepped back over the threshold shutting the black and white doors behind him and made straight for the hidden chambers. The candles had burned low and he could barely make out the figure huddled intently over a great map of Westeros she is gone the kindly man said It is safe for you to roam the halls until the moon is again full. It was good of you to come immediately, replied a rasping voice. My training is almost finished, and there is so much work to be done. The figure rose. As they stepped into the hallway, the torchlight danced across his brilliant golden locks. Has she confessed to being Arya Stark? No, replied the kindly man. I beseech her every day, but she still insists she is no one. Joffrey tried to reply, but found his throat too dry, an unfortunate side effect of the potion he had used to turn his face the color of death during his expert mummery at the wedding feast. He motioned for water, which the kindly man supplied. I still remember gazing from my window and feeling my body tremble with rage as I saw her alight from the boat and enter this place. I I felt it must be her, but the years have clouded my memories of her and I cannot be sure. King Joffrey's memory was, in fact, excellent, the kindly man lamented. The trouble was that after Joffrey had nobly accepted his father's ruling, he had tried to forgive and move on. He had therefore paid little heed to the younger Stark girl after she was acquitted of setting her wolf on him. He had even hoped that one day his future sister-in-law would see him for who he truly was, learn to love him, and become a warrior in his service hence his command that Ned Stark hire Serio to teach her swordplay. Unbeknownst to Ned, Serio was charged with watching Arya as well as helping her, so that Joffrey might not fear further plots from her. The king, after all, had far more urgent matters to attend to. Serio, as ordered, disappeared at the first whiff of unrest and retreated to Braavos to prepare this place for Joffrey, should he be forced to flee the Seven Kingdoms. Yep. We can give her the gift of death at any time, your grace, counseled the kindly man. All needs must do is say, if I've told you once, I tell you a thousand times, I will not condemn a girl to death if cannot be 100 per sure, 100% sure she is the traitor that I think she is. God's man, where is your heart? Joffrey stormed away in a bit of frustration. "'I'll give her blindness, then,' the kindly man's voice echoed through the halls behind him. Joffrey wheeled in fury. "'Do not fear, Your Grace. It will pass, and it will not physically hurt her. "'It might just be what it takes to convince her to tell me the truth.' "'Slightly mollified, Joffrey turned heel and continued on. "'Do not far- go far, Your Grace,' the kindly man called. "'Bubba Bo Babble will be here shortly.' We have much work to do before you set sail. To be continued in the soon-to-be-released installment, A Joffrey of Justice.
1: Well, I think, listen, Matt, I know we don't have forever on these podcasts, but I feel it's a bit bad that she left out the part of the chapter where Joffrey gave that aphrodisiac to Gilly. He knew that Sam would (laughs) never get busy, so he's like, here, Gilly, drink this, put it in your rum, once the old man dies cuz he wanted those two lovebirds to get together.
0: Yeah, um well I guess she just had to convince it. Um uh but uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, well will maybe we'll, she'll be able to include that in, in a flashback section she'll better. add it. Too I mean,
1: I don't like people cutting off the chapters right when they were getting good.
0: Yeah, good point. Well, a joffrey of justice soon to come. <laughs> <laughs> uh, email from Jill. Hi, Matt. I was listening to the latest episode and your discussion about the interpretation of Tyrion's visions. I think she meant visions in, regarding Tyrion. Something occurred to me. Perhaps his vision of a creature with one black eye and many arms sailing on a sea... Well, these are Makoro's visions. Perhaps his vision of a creature with one black eye and many arms sailing on a sea is of blood... is blood raven. The one eye refers to the fact that he has one eye as the other has a root growing out of it. Many arms refer to all the roots growing around him, and sailing on the sea of blood is a metaphor of all the red sap that is quite often compared to looking like blood within the werewood trees. Perhaps the metaphor of sailing refers to his ability to flit over the entire geography wherever there is a werewood tree. Maybe this, in this case, the vision is not so literal as someone sailing in a boat. Hmm. Interesting. Any thoughts on that, Mike? Uh, no, I like it. I like it. <laughs> How about you, Bubba?
1: Well, th- I'm just going to go with it, the one crazy thing, and that is I think the the, the sap is blood. I, I, I think these weirwood trees do have actual blood in them. I don't think it's just red sap.
0: Wow. What,
1: what brought you to that
0: conclusion? That's very interesting. Why, just, it's just too unnatural to be anything but? Is that what you're thinking?
1: Well, it, to be honest, it always goes back to the time, uh, the kind of passageway that Bran and them use uh, via Sam to get from one side of the wall to the other. And that kind of sp- – <coughs> excuse me. That magic door to me, uh, didn't it, it like – Cry tears of blood, and one of them fell on Bran and he could taste it. It actually tasted more like blood than like a syrup, and so uh, because mm. we hear so much about these sacrifices at the Weirwood Tree, I, I think these things are a bit like uh, Audrey, too, and they want blood. Spoiler alert for Little Shop of Hours. Ah! <laughs>
0: feed me! Feed me, Blood Raven! Feed me! Uh, Excellent. Alright. Uh. Well, let's move on to – this. here's another tantalizing little theory. This one was just in a tweet form from J.T. Halfbro that I just got to give credit for because it just didn't even dawn on me when I was talking about this, about Tana Merriweather. In regards to who Terry Merriweather's lover might be, uh, the tandem read crafts are great, but think of this. Littlefinger has dark hair, and he also has a scar courtesy of Brandon Stark, what? Littlefinger's got his fingers in every little pie in Westeros, if this is the case. What's going on?
1: I love am having a hard time seeing how he could have gotten Tana on his side because she was down in the reach. And as far as I can tell, until the Clash of Kings, he had never gone there. But maybe.
2: I love that idea. I like it. And I don't put anything past Littlefinger, so.
0: I I like it too, J.T. Half-Pro. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stick with Robert until further notice, but uh, that's definitely running a really, 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 really close second. Love it. Love it. Um, also, have a Facebook comment from way back, and I'm sorry I missed it. It was like from way back in October of 2014, guys. But uh, since we brought up uh, uh, some things, he said, I've heard you guys discuss Coldhand several times and the scene where he talks about leaving the group to deal with foes in black. I always took that to mean him going after the traitors of the first the fist of the first men, and thus seeing him as a force of good and not a force uh a, and not a force against the watch and forces of good. It also suggested to me that the that he was a black brother before he turned. Sure would be nice to get his backstory, keep up the good work. Um, excellent. Thank you for the comments. And and I kind of interpreted, I thought, as it being the Craster mutineers myself, if I recall. But um, I don't know. Uh, I also did point out that it just seemed kind of ominous. So either way, uh, it's been too long. It's been too many podcasts ago for me to be able to think what I thought directly. But I like that thought. Um, email from Harold. Uh, All right. Before I begin, I want to take a moment to thank Michael for understanding and defending my views regarding the racial depictions in the book series and why I have found the depiction of the dusky woman to be quite uncomfortable. I also want to thank my fe- fellow listener, Jill, for her thoughtful and eloquent, e- eloquent email and for sharing her views on this topic. I would just point out that Jill never actually implied that the racism was intentional. Rather, she simply shared a powerful testimonial of how herself was taken in by dual tropes of the willing slave and the faultless master causing her to initially miss the problems of such a depiction. I, too, initially looked past these depictions, and it has only been through multiple rereads and concerted effort that I have come to recognize many of my own subconscious prejudices, not just in regards to race, but also in regards to issues of gender. I think the only way for society to move past these issues is for us to take them head on, we flesh them out, we recognize them for what they are, and we take them out at the root level it is only through understanding and introspection that we move forward. In other words, we move past the issues of social discrimination by eliminating issues of social discrimination. Jill, your email genuinely touched me as I often wonder if I'm reaching anyone besides the panel and if the effort is worth the while. Your email let me know that it is. Thank you. I also want to thank Matt for allowing this space to to be used to address such issues as they are not always so easy to broach, confront, or discuss. I think your willingness to allow these discussions into this forum speaks volumes about you, and moreover, it uniquely positions this podcast to have a to cast a very large shadow. Thank you, Harold. Okay, on to the chapter. Samuel One, the Summer Isles where men were black, women were wanton, and even the gods were strange. Yep. Uh, at this point This is what I like about it. He he says, at this point, do I even need to explain why this disturbs me? Point (laughs) taken, Harold.
2: Um,
0: Okay, I'll tell you. It's because in this partial particular description, Martin utterly fails to provide a list of every possible food item that one can expect to find in a typical summer island cookout. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Harold, thank you for making that funny. Uh, Breanne, too. (laughs) The good news is that according to this chapter list, we only have one more Brianne chapter to suffer through. Spoiler alert. Yay! Um, three, Jamie. Jamie knows that the Lannisters were entirely wrong in regards to this war and their treatment of the Starks. He knows that the atrocities committed by his sister, his bastard son, his father, even himself. Moreover, he knows neither Tommen nor Joffrey are legitimately the rightful heirs to Robert Baratheon. You take that back, Carol. You know better than to say that in front of me and Bubba. Uh, anyway, why then does Jamie have this self-righteous attitude towards everyone who fought for the Starks, as if they are genuine traitors to a rightful king? And after everything your family had done to the Starks and Tullys, how could you possibly have the audacity to have a singer play the reigns of Castamere to Edmure Tully? What a jerk! Jamie shows none of the contrition that should. T- that he showed towards the survivors of the Lannister family atrocities. Every time I, read, I have read through these let me see every time I have read through this book series, this is where Jamie's supposed redemption arc fails with me. Once again, Jamie reminds me that he is still an unredeemed creep, the same person who injured Ned Stark and had his men killed. Jamie is only somewhat redeemed by the brand chapters. As they make me grateful to Jamie for at least attempting to kill himself kill, to kill him off, oh okay, Jamie is only somewhat redeemed by the brand chapters as they make me grateful to Jamie for at least attempting to kill him off early in the series. Oh, he really doesn 't like brand um, <laughs> uh, Cat of the canal who is the sailor 's wife uh, we 've had a great discussion about this there 's a theory that Lana. That Lana, the daughter of the sailor's wife, is a Lannister. She is described as having golden hair, and her name could reference Lan the Clever, the Lannister family's forefather and namesake from the Age of Heroes. The sailor's wife also described as having been the same age as Lana, fourteen, when she married her first husband, and gave birth to Lana. Hmm. Didn't Tyrion marry Tysha when she was when he was fourteen? Could the sailor's wife be Tysha? Could Lana be his daughter? Could a broken Tysha have fled to Bravos? Or maybe Tywin, being Tywin, he could have purposely sent Tysha there, threatening her with death if she ever thought to be anything other than a whore. Um, so that's his question. Uh, he says a person, and uh, then he says a competing theory is that Lana is the child of Jerry and Lannister. That's the one that I like. Tywin's youngest brother, or yeah, Tywin's youngest brother, a sailor who was lost in the smoking sea to quest. In his, during his quest to recover the Lannister ancestral sword from the ruins of Valyria. Um, so Bubba likes your first one. I like your second one. Uh, Mike's still on the fence, from what I can tell. Um, talking about Darian, uh Arya seems to be surprisingly ahead of a normal acolyte in her progress, as the kindly man seems taken aback by the fact that Arya made this kill. Although he seems to know a lot about Arya, Does he know that she has already killed multiple times, at least thrice at this point? The Waif, two maps tomatoes. When Arya guesses the Waif's exaggeration, Arya knows that the Waif's father actually had to give up two-thirds of his wealth. How does Arya know this? That is a little too specific for a mere guess. Hmm, I don't know. Uh maybe, maybe it's something she learned, quote-unquote, off-screen about the way the House of Black and White takes offerings. That's the best, that's the best uh, excuse I can make. Anybody got a better one?
1: No, I have to be honest. I couldn't figure it out either, but I uh, just went along with it. Martin's got so many words, nouns and verbs, nouns and verbs. Skip ahead.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: um, the wife says that her stepmother's efforts to poison her left her as she currently appears. However, the kindly man says that her appearance is the result of working with the poisons, which is it. So here's my thing about this. Here's, here's the question, that, or the, the way I might explain this. Aria does question, or Kat, does question uh, that the waif lied uh, about the lie when she's kind of in her own head, and then the kindly man interrupts. Um, I, I think that what the kindly man says is true and that the wife actually didn't lie about the lie, but that the lie was that the poison her stepmother gave her um, when she said it changed her. That was the lie. It actually did not change her, but working with the poisons did, just as the kindly man said. That's the way I kind of read it. Um, Did anybody else think about it that hard? No. (laughs) (laughs) But there's there's my quasi-explanation, Harold. Um, So once again... Uh, on the Cersei chapter, three of Maggie's predictions jump out at me. A queen you shall be until there comes another, younger and more beautiful, to cast you down and take all that you hold dear. I know many believe this is a reference to Marjorie Terrell, but I would point out that it could also be uh, a reference to Daenerys or even Marcella. Um, we didn't really talk about Marcella, but we did also bring up Sansa Stark. Um, B, gold shall be the crowns and oh, gold shall be the crowns.
1: can I jump in? It also, through various ways, could be Ariane Martel.
0: Ah, could be. Or it could be the Queen of Wars.
1: But you know what? Ships Captain's wife.
2: (laughs) Uh, Gold, uh,
0: Mike, any thought on that? No, go ahead. All right. Gold shall be the crowns and gold their shrouds. I think gold shall be the crowns means that Cersei's children will have blonde hair, as they all do. That's something that Bubba thought. Uh... Uh, and also that they each will serve as king or queen at some point. Oh, so he thinks both. He thinks my way and Bubba's way. I like it. I'm liking Harold this week uh, because he's being, you know, generous. Um, I think the reference to gold, except that whole bit about Joffrey. I didn't like that. Uh, I think the reference to gold being their shrouds refers to the fact that it will each die as a result of someone wanting them off the throne. This actually saddens me because although... Oh, no, Joffrey was an a-hole that deserved to die. How dare you, Harold? Uh Tommen and Marcella have been nothing but gentle, kind, and sweet, and it would truly be sad and to see tragedy befall them. Uh, I, I agree about the second part, but uh, it was truly sad to see Joffrey uh, meet tragedy as well.
2: You know what? Uh,
1: Harold is obviously an NBR, because he hasn't read these books and known about his grace, King Joffrey.
0: Well, he's definitely not read the Joffrey P.O.D. chapters. Oh, um, Harold, I'm going to make a recommendation to you. Listen to the Joffrey of podcasts. They will straighten out your unstraightening. They will. C. Um, uh, and when your tears have drowned you, the Valonqar shall wrap his hands around your pale white throat and choke the life from you. So we know Valonqar is High Valerian for brother. And Cersei believes that this reference is Tyrion. However, by now, we know that whatever Cersei believes that she has figured something out, she is nearly always wrong. Ding, ding, ding. That was my point as well. Um, This is what gives me hope that Tommen and Marcella will not actually have to die to fulfill this prophecy. Likewise, I doubt Tyrion is the Valonqar referenced, as that would make Cersei right, and she is never right. Thus, I'll make some wild guesses as to the identity of the Valonqar. It could be the Hound. If for some reason Cersei found herself in a trial by combat, wouldn't she likely name the mountain as her champion again? Well, is her mountain alive? I don't know. Um, and hasn't the Hound vowed to kill the mountain someday? That he has. If the Hound kills the mountain under those circumstances, it would be as good as killing Cersei directly, and the prophecy would be fulfilled. Hmm. It could be Arya. I'm not entirely convinced that a prophecy saying he necessarily means male. Arya is a tomboy and a future faceless man. It could very well be that she disguises herself as a boy to carry out the assassination of Cersei. Whoa. Uh, Three, it could be Aegon. If he is indeed the real Aegon, then he is the little brother of Rhaenys Targaryen, Rhaegar's daughter, and firstborn child. Um, If it could be Osford or Osney Kettleblack. Osford or and Osney are both younger brothers of Osmond. I won't. Okay. Um, let's see. It could be. It could be one of the direwolves. At least two of the three surviving male direwolves, Ghost, Summer, and Shaggy Dog, have to be younger brothers. Maybe all three, with two of their siblings having been killed because of Lannisters it stands to reason that they would kill Cersei if given the opportunity. If only there was a way they could wrap their paws around her throat and choke her. Um, yeah, that doesn't, doesn't seem too likely. Six, it could be Jamie. Remember, Cersei is the eldest twin, so she actually has two younger brothers. Um, that's the one that Mike and I like. Um, and then he says, let me throw in a qualifier here. The reference to being drowned in her own tears indicates that Cersei would be completely broken at this point. She would either welcome death or she would have slipped into a state of no return similar to that of Theon, Theon's mother, or Catelyn Stark at the Red Wedding. In that sense, Cersei's physical death could actually be an act of mercy or a a final act of love to spare her from needless suffering rather than a murder committed in cold blood for vengeance. In light of this, it could be Tommen. Tommen is a brother. In a couple of years, as he is older and stronger, he could find himself facing imminent defeat as the forces of Daenerys close in on him. This could mean imminent death for him and his mother. If Tommen observes his mother losing her mind, he could well decide to spare her from a more brutal death at the hands of their captors as an act of mercy.
1: Right, and he could give her the poison known as the Strangler.
0: Mm. Mmm. Final one. It could be Rickon. Why not? He doesn't have anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, I know you and I, you and I liked Jamie initially when we were talking about this. Any of these other ones hit you?
2: I mean, the only
0: possibility, the only one that I could even possibly be better than Jamie is Arya. I hadn't thought of that, but that would be pretty great. That would be pretty great, Bubba. Uh, who did you weigh in on? Who you think it is? Archie.
1: I think it's Kevin Lannister, Tywin's younger brother.
0: Oh, that would be very interesting. That would be very interesting, but we will have to see. Uh, I doubt that we will see in the course of these two books who it is. Maybe we will. You never know. Uh, thank you very much, Harold, for the email. Great. Uh, one last one from Steve here. Um, First comment is about Brienne and company showing up at Salt Pans itself as having a woman, not Sir Quincy, telling them to get lost. Mirabold implied that Sir Quincy's daughters and granddaughters were in the castle, but I think with the authority she showed, it was Mage Mormont. I have the timeline from Storm worked out with all the major players from the last council meeting Rob has at River Run. I will send after the next Jamie chapter if you guys want it. Yeah. Next, yes, please do. Uh, next, I'd like to comment on the exchange Jamie had with the Blackfish. This is the first battle of words that Jamie clearly gets outdueled. He asks the Blackfish why he even came to treat with him, and the Blackfish sasses him by saying he always disappoints. I think it was more than that because he wanted confirmation that the Lannisters had not found Jane in regards to my theory. It is Jamie who asks for Savelle Westerling and her three children. The blackfish did not have to say a word about it and completely bluffs Jamie. The other thing about the 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 back and forth that I found interesting was that the blackfish lumps John with Theon Greyjoy. What info is he getting and what does he think John did? Just helping Stannis or is it another feint? Um, we kind of weighed in on that a little bit. Mike, did you ever offer any thought about, uh, why the Blackfish? I mean, are you agreement that it's just because Catelyn hated John? Yeah, I think he's just taken the, you know, the, the Tully line on it. And, uh, you know, the other thing is you have to think, how much experience did he himself have with John? Probably a lot less than he had with listening to Cat complain about him. Yeah, it's just the context that it seems to be of the now. Um, that I think bothers Steve and uh, and bothered me a little bit after Steve pointed it out um, to me when I read this email earlier today. Um, so uh, I had tried to come up with an explanation, but Bubba kind of shot that one down. So oh, I got in the, I, I well, Bubba's very good at shooting me down because I'm 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 pretty much you know uh, a big big moose on a, on a little little pedestal like two feet away with the guy with the crossbow. Anyway, uh, so uh don't know if I have any real explanation. Bubba, you, you're you you're saying that uh, he's towing the Tully line as well, right?
1: That's what I think.
0: Alright. Um, the last comment I have is on uh, Maggie's future telling. First off, she came to Lanisport after casting a love spell on a wealthy spice trader. Yep. And unless I'm mistaken, that would uh, Wait a minute, Bubba, let me ask you this. Do we know who Lady Sabelle's father is yet?
1: I think you actually can do the math through past Storm of sword things, if you want to go on it. I, I okay. wasn't sure, but I, I did a quick look right now, and I honestly think you can do that.
2: Okay,
0: well then I'll continue with this. And unless I'm mistaken, that would be none other than Lady Sabelle's father. Therefore, Maggie would be Jane Westerling's grandmother. Do you think... That Maggie put a spell on Rob. Cersei thinks there there was malice in her eye, but I wonder if it is more. Could it be joy because it is her granddaughter that the young younger and more that is the younger and more beautiful queen. The other bit about foretelling that I liked was sixteen bastards for Robert. Wow, I liked your idea about Taina's son being one of them. Edric, Gendry, Maya, Stone. Cersei killed a couple, but that leaves a lot more in play. Any ideas? Those are my points for this weekend. I look forward to the podcast. So, uh, there, there are references in Storm of Swords that you can might put together, Lady Sabelle being the, the uh, daughter of this spice trader that Maggie evidently married. Right, Bubba?
1: That's exactly right. In other words, I, it'll become even more clear, I think, in a couple more chapters of Cersei and Jaime but Maggie the Frog is Rob's wife, Jane Westerling's grandmother, and that opens up a world of possibilities, which we'll cover in the coming weeks.
0: Excellent. All right. Um, Mike, any thoughts on that that have revealed to you, or did you pick it up through everything that had been strung out through, you know, 14 billion pages? <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's a big reveal to me, uh, and that's pretty exciting. I like the idea of, of Rob's wife making a reappearance Dun dun dun! We'll have to see uh, what's because going on like here. Because that's like based based much more on my memories of the television show than my memories of her in the book. So that's maybe not a very valuable thing to be excited about. Yeah, we'll 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 just have to see where it all leads to as we go along. And that is it for the feedback. Woo!
1: Long all right. podcast. Thank you, listeners, for sticking around.
0: Yeah, it was a long podcast. Guys, I want to thank you for doing uh, some time this week to, to you know, listen to, to discuss these chapters and listen to all this great feedback that we got. Baba, of course, uh, you're, you're always out and about on the, on the Twitterverse and, and in, uh, through other mediums. How can people contact you if they want to talk about A Song of Ice and Fire?
1: Please do. We're getting excited. I have some theories about this 30-second trailer that just released for season five. Or It's actually a 30-second trailer for the uh, uh, promo HBO's going to show on February 8th or 6th or whenever. But uh, hit me up on Twitter. Let's talk. I love everybody's feedback. You can reach me on Twitter, at Fit and Trim. That's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M, at Fit and Trim on Twitter. Thank you so much, Matt.
0: Thank you once again for joining us, Bubba. Uh, just real quickly, Joffrey of Podcast is coming back for season five. Are you not?
1: Yeah, it's just hard. We have everybody knows our good friend Mork. Mork just had a premiere of a movie he worked on last night. Everybody, sadly, out here is very busy, and so we're gonna we're trying. It's coming, people, but uh, right. who knows when.
0: Well, I just hope that by season five you guys can find some time to sit around and, and explain what's wrong with the television show because Joffrey isn't there um, because I, I, I adore those podcasts. I can't wait to hear more of them. Uh, Mike, you have a podcast of your own that you work on, uh, the Captain Punishment Adventure Hour, and you like to talk about where we are so far in the books and, of course, about the TV show uh, with anyone on Twitter. So tell people what they can, uh, how they can find you all over the place. Uh, I am at Fifth Column Film. F I F T H C O L U M N F I L M, and uh, we are actually we're writing. I, I got the first draft today of the first completed uh, draft of the next Captain Punishment series, uh, in which we actually introduce our Aquaman character. Um, but in in his origin story, our Aquaman character is a king. And so we're actually right now doing a big Game of Thrones spoof uh, in the Captain Punishment universe. So um, we're in writing right now. It's super exciting. And uh, yeah, if there's any characters that anybody wants to hear be made fun of, uh, hit us up at CaptainPunishment@gmail.com at gmail.com and uh, throw us some spoof ideas because we got a lot of stuff. Uh, and right now we're kind of trying to pare it back, you know, there's an enormous amount of things to make fun of, even for uh, NBRs. So, you know, uh, Captain Punishment, coming up with the Game of Thrones, should be pretty fun.
2: That sounds great. Hey. it actually
0: wasn't my idea. Uh, the guy, you know, one of the guys I work with is like, I don't know, I'm writing it, and it's kind of turned into a Game of Thrones thing. And I was like, yes, let's go. So, should be fun. Excellent. And how can people find you on Twitter? Uh at fifth column film. Michael Hull. Alright. Uh and uh I have a suggestion. You should pull a character from Tessa's chapter here, Bubba Bo Babble. And That's an excellent uh, idea. Yeah. Bubba Bo Babble. Bubba, you're about to be immortalized on the, the uh the Captain Punishment Adventure hour. Where you Finally will... <laughs> <laughs> As for me, Axel Foley is going to tell you how you can contact me with all the feedback where you can be angry with me for any comments that I made, or you can just say hi. This is Matt.
2: See you next time.